Aliens, Armour and Corporate Synergy, it's Marvel versus Marvel, the podcast where a Marvel novice, someone who's never read a Marvel comic in his life but loves Marvel movies and TV shows, re-watches a Marvel project and then quizzes a veritable Marvel expert all about the incredible characters, the stories and the history of Marvel that dates all the way back to the 1960s and beyond the 1960s and now dominates Hollywood and pop culture. It's your boys. I am uh, a comedian, writer and the Marvel expert uh, and that voice belongs to Rob Holden and I'm welcoming you to the show as we bring aboard the man that makes it all possible through the power of his sheer ignorance Will Preston in the His House. The His House, uh, yes, that is how you don't say house. That's how ignorant I am. Now, uh, yeah, great to be here as usual. Uh, nothing else to say apart from that. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you start talking, you think, no, I have nothing further to add to what I'm currently saying. Going to stop What's there. wonderful is I, 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 we're doing this so long now, I, I, can, I, I know when it's going to happen because I can see the slight panic in your eyes. <laughs> Where you go, yeah, oh, oh, run out, not, not, no, no, don't know where I'm going with this, no. I can't just stop talking mid-sentence, they'll know. <laughs> Listen, we're, we're putting up them two-hour, 33-hour episodes. Stopping talking is, is not what they come here for. Um, and hey, we are in the middle of one incredible, uh, one incredible, we've had the most incredible couple of weeks with this podcast, um, so many more people discovering us. We've we found out the last couple of weeks have been have been really fantastic. Uh, the the special wonder and vision deeper dive episodes really taken off, but we're we're just seeing a real real upward trend across the board. Um, we gather we've been recommended by a couple of uh, a couple of places, so we're thankful uh, of that. And if 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 you're joining us for the first time or the second time, if you're new to what we like to call the Versaverse, mm. we're so excited and happy to have you aboard. There's loads of episodes in the archive for you to check out. All of Phase One and Phase Two of the MCU has been put to bed. The definitive take, I reckon, from us. And uh, and lots more. I thought you were going to say uh, the, uh, the Definity way. Wars or something. The Definity Wars. Oh, that. Had, yeah. De- sorry, I, I spoke over. He's like, yeah, the Definity Wars. I thought, what? What is that? Is that what you said? Was, was that what you were going to say? Anyway, yeah, yeah. Phase one, two, uh, to the bed. It's been it's been fantastic seeing uh, seeing new people join us on 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 the cast mm. on the journey. Mm. As we try to, well, as we succeed. In uh, in uh, analyzing and ten- contextualizing iconic moments of pop culture history um, through a visual medium, but but we also seek on this podcast to mm. get to the heart of how we got to where we are with Marvel being so big, so popular, so everywhere. That's an important that's an important building block of what we do here, and yes. we also like to explore how people discover Marvel for the first time. Indeed. So if if you if you are new to to the journey, that's what me and Will represents. So two sides of a coin, really. I was taught to read with Marvel comics. I've been reading them as long as the printed word was in my brain. Um, well well versed, if anything, too well versed. Um, and and Will's the other side. Never read a Marvel comic, but through the years, you've experienced the cartoons and the mm. toys, the video games, and 
of course, the movies. Yes. A great way for us to really pick apart what Marvel means to people in different ways, where it comes from, and how we first start to discover things. And um, a catchphrase of the show that we... we not, not not a catchphrase, but something that certain people... I've said many times, and people start to parrot it back, is it's all connected. And this <laughs> is an episode where we really do start to find out it's all connected. There's no such thing, really, as... A uh, a random episode as a non sequitur episode. Mm. There's no such thing as an episode that doesn't form part of our bigger picture of understanding Marvel. Yeah. And you might think animated Iron Man episode from the nineties. Maybe I don't need to uh, to pay attention too much in this one, but you would be wrong. Coming up in this episode, we're going to explore the foundation being laid for the MCU. No joke. No hyperbole. The building blocks are here in the tale we will tell today in this episode. We're going to look at the the corporate synergy of the Marvel Action (laughs) Hour, which is frankly uh, breathtaking and fantastic if corporate synergy is your thing. I mean, if artistic integrity is your thing, then no. Um, All I'm thinking now is 80s guy from Futurama. Synergize! Of course you are. Oh, are we going to start a new trend of... Futurama bingo now. Just sho- shove them down, <laughs> shove them down in the same place you put my Simpsons quoting down. Put a Futurama, Simpsons, Disenchantment, all the same square, all the same square. We'll also be taking a look at at the origin of Modok, a yes. firm favourite here on the MVM cast, and more Marvel villains than we have ever, ever covered before. All coming your way in this uh, in this special episode as we return. To the Marvel animated universe of the 1990s. Speaking of returns, Will, mm. you're a man that returns to the webosphere multiple times a week. Three, really, outside of this show, whilst I hide in my dingy dungeon of comic books. You're out there. You're the public face of the of the of the brand. I am. I am. I often return to the internet. I come in with my hat and my coat, and I put it on the <laughs> e hook or whatever they have after the nineties. Yes, yes, the, the, e- the electronic hook. Electronic hook in the internet, which is all space and lasers. You're bobbing around on that there Twitch, but I, I hear many good things about. I, I've heard great reports of, of Twitch. Um, it's more acceptable to me now TikTok has come along. It Now Twitch seems an old an old gent compared to TikTok. Yes, the, the, the conveyor belt of feeling old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm on Twitch uh, Monday, uh, Wednesdays and Fridays, 6pm UK time. I'm still playing Kerbal Space Program and I'm making even more progress. I tried to get a mining building on the moon. Uh, you tried? It, it got on the moon, but there was, yeah, a, there was a success. There was a little problem. The little legs it uses to keep it steady were, weren't as long as the drills, so the drills were propping up the building and moving it around like some kind of weird spider. You need some telescopic dampeners. They I, or rigid stays. I should have said rigid. Those were those were actually telescopic dampeners. I had. Yes. They just weren't long enough. I put them in the wrong place. Enough. Yeah. No. Do you so, know what it's like when your telescopic dampeners aren't long enough? I know um, that thing was shaking like a very rude house. 
So what do we get? Like, like pitch it to me. What 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 do we get? We log on and, and to to join you on the Twitch. Yeah, we get it. Watch you play this game. What are you doing in the game? I basically uh, running a space uh, campaign. I launch spacecraft from the Earth, and I've got to use all my knowledge of science to get them where I want it to be. So there's little missions like you have to go to different planets. You have to. Uh, set up like a satellite you have to set up a space station you have to set up a, a space base or go around collecting science from different p- planets it's really collecting cool. science collecting what science. are you doing today i'm collecting some science i i just i just deposited a great big pound of science in the old uh lavatory earlier that was a um, that was a big old science dump right there i can't wait to analyze that later <laughs> So that's what you can we, we can pay attention to, and we can also ask you Marvel questions as you go on, and even call you names. It's a great, it's a really great way of connecting the, the, the average drunken member of the public to literally anyone. <laughs> um, and uh, how do we get about finding on Twitch? Will what's the old uh, yep. what's the old name there? What, what's the old what's the old address so I can send a postcard? It's uh, twitch.tv slash willpreston87 that's me, give me a follow so let's take a step into the mind of oh, it was a really hard pee on the end of that step let me try that one again, let's take a step that's a softer pee, let's take a step Yes. into the mind of uh, a muggle uh, in, 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 the, in the broadest sense of the term I was born and raised in in the Wizarding World of Marvel, and and Mr. Will Preston, of course, was not raised a Muggle, born a Muggle. It's a terrible sight; you hate to see it. So, <laughs> <laughs> when 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 this Iron Man cartoon came on on the screens for me, I was beyond excited. But what did you do? You remember this being around nineteen ninety six ish? It would have been in the old UK. Iron Man cartoon series, the Marvel Action Hour might have been part of what was used to to promote it, the Fantastic Four. I don't remember this. I do not remember this. Even though I had cable, I do not remember any of this as a kid. I remember The Simpsons. I remember Earthworm Jim. I remember Ren and Stimpy. I don't remember this. Well, this, 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 this yeah, I think this was on Sky... Initially, uh, mm. perhaps ninety four, ninety five, and then it came to the BBC in ninety six, I believe. Ooh, okay. Um, okay. You remember any? Do you remember any of the of the Iron Man toys, the Fantastic Four action figures that were in there? I remember the Fantastic Four, but only for the Hanna Barbera cartoon. I, but I only heard about Iron Man after Tony Hawk's Pro Skate, one of the Tony Hawk's Pro Skate games. <laughs> yes, I remember. Because he was now, a secret yeah. character. Yeah, I. Had no idea who Iron Man was before that. Uh, Fantastic Four. Who doesn't know who the Fantastic Four are? Obviously, lots of people, many people, almost all people. Oh yeah, then not exist very outside famous. my bedroom. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like you've got a lot of people in your bedroom. Let's just move on. I'm um, so popular. <laughs> we 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 did have we had a lot of people chiming in about this um, on the socials. Uh, you can get it as at Marvel Versus and, and chatting away about. There, that they, there are memories. There are memories of this, <laughs> but it, it is not <laughs> as it, it was. It did not penetrate the mainstream as much as the X Men cartoon that we've looked at and the Spider Man cartoon, which is still to come. This one kind of flew under the radar 
compared to those two, um, really. And I think that is reflected in in what we what we've got to talk about. Um, but I mean, you you subsequently will have done some research for us um, on, and we've got we've got a lot to we, we we've got some great details um, in all of this. But in your in your in your deep-seated, deep web research, what did you discover about the Iron Man animated series? Well, unfortunately, like I usually like to do in these episodes where I talk about money, everybody likes uh, a middle-class white guy talking about lots of money. Uh, I didn't have any of that because it's a kids' TV show that doesn't work that way. Uh, so I've got these uh, different notes about the show. So basically, rather than, say, uh, something like the X-Men animated series, which actually dealt with with uh, issues of the comic, you know, storylines from the comic. The, none of them were based on any existing comics. The Iron Man cartoon, in fact, in fact, they were just not open not in the not in the first series. Yeah, not in the first series. Yes, it was. We're talking about the first series of the Iron Man cartoon. There basically a second series came out that changed everything. It was like a reboot almost. Uh, but the mm. first season, it wasn't uh, any any existing stories. They were just open and shut cases, little simple stories for a normal kids' cartoon. That's pretty much it. Uh, another another interesting fact uh, was the cast. Now, uh, basically, <laughs> there were there were some uh, familiar familiar voices, should we say? Uh, War Machine was played by James Avery, famously known as Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and to a lesser extent, Shredder from the spark from the uh, from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think he was as well. Amazing! What an incredible voice. Sadly. Uh, dearly departed these days, um, but an incredible voice. Yes, and um, really bring. I don't. Th- I, I don't think he plays him all the way through. I, I think we've discovered, haven't we, that for some yeah. reason there's quite a lot of the credits exist for like the first episode or a couple of episodes, and then it's a different actor. The credits yeah. are all muddled up, and some people who only did one episode are credited as playing that all the way through. It's a little confusing for some reason. It's incredible. I, th- I think they got rid of him like within one episode. But anyway, wow. it was great to see him. But the voice of Tony Stark, uh, and this is very weird, is Robert Hayes, who was Ted Striker Who's... from Airplane, the lead You're guy from, Air- from Airplane. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Because all because when you think Robert Hayes in Airplane, you just think uh, a straight actor. In a comedy film, much like Les- course, they did yeah. with Leslie Nielsen, and in this, yeah, they got oh, who's that? Who's that normal sounding everyday man? Oh, it's Robert Hayes from Airplane, <laughs> and incredible. Also, and also, non surprisingly, I think the the least surprising voice uh, was Jim Cummings, who is the voice of Winnie the Pooh, as well as ev- you'll hear him from nearly every single cartoon, everything to do with Disney. He pops up. Jim Cummings really? is a very proli- I mean alongside people like Frank Welker, Billy West, he's an incredibly pl- prolific uh, voice actor. Wow. And he and he's playing Modoc in this. And you can tell it once you once you've heard one Jim Cummings voice role, you know what you know he's any any time. Any time you could point him out. It's like the, we're like one of those film geeks that points out the Wilhelm screen in films. You know, that one sound yeah. effect they use for screaming that you know you just have the ear for it. You know it's you know where it is. Yeah. Uh, next fact: uh, the this series, okay, the first series of Iron Man was among the few tele- television series to be re-recorded in THX. 
This may have oh man at, at the time. Yeah, this was standard for a motion picture, but very rare for a television series. And I don't know why they did it. It wasn't. <laughs> it was. This show wasn't dependent on superior audio. I wonder. I wonder if it's got anything to do with having. No, no, because that that the, the theme song I'm thinking of is the second series where they've got the. I am Iron Man. See, see when, when when you said we're going to cover this, I was real excited because the, the, that was it. The only time I ever heard about the Iron Man uh, t- uh, cartoon series was when we everybody, you know, every now and again, you get a Facebook thread going. We're going, hey, anybody remember this this TV theme? Yeah. And then everybody pitches in. Then someone says, okay, I'll raise you mask. Uh, with uh, the theme tune to the Iron Man cartoon series, and it was like, "Whoa, this is cool!" And then we got something quite different, which I'll uh, c- cover in a bit. Uh, unfortunately, the show uh, only lasted uh, two seasons. With the second season, as we said before, reinventing itself away from what we consider the uh, Masters of the Universe good versus evil feel of the show to be more like the comics. The result was a massive change, premises, tone, and general approach, which left the despe- the desperate season. So. The disparate season scarcely uh, recognisable as being two halves of the same series. I look at it as like a reboot, basically, the second series, from what I've read. It's, it feels like a reboot. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are there are um, character and story threads that carry on. Yeah, okay, we'll go with that. Um, but so, so you know, a, a true reboot is right from scratch. Yeah. Whereas characters in series two make reference to things that happen in series one. So... Uh, but they definitely retooled it from the ground up. Yeah, they gave him a uh, mullet as well. They gave him an action mullet, which is always a good sign is. that things are going in the right direction. <laughs> and finally, this is my fa- this is a really interesting fact. Uh, the theme tune for the first season was composed by Keith Emerson of Emerson Lake and Palmer. <laughs> wow, <laughs> heavy hitters! You could tell coming that, out. You could really tell that some of the, when it gets into the quite orchestral sort of keyboardy sound of like a medieval sort of sort of thing. You, you could tell that set at Keith Emerson. You could tell. You could just tell. <laughs> so we said, you know, we say quite often that everything is connected, Will, and I, I, I mean putting putting together. The business. I mean, how we got here for the Iron Man cartoon series leads directly into how we get Blade and X Men and Spider Man and Marvel Studios and the MCU. Yes, it does. So, nineteen eighty six. Hmm. So, uh, a company that used to be called New World Pictures. Was, well, yeah, yeah. So, New World Entertainment used to be called New World Pictures. Um, and New World Pictures was founded by the, the, the king of the low-budget movies, Roger Corman. Hmm. Um, the man who directed the original Fantastic Four movie. It's all connected. Uh, <laughs> uh, and New, New World Pictures and then New World Entertainment, as it becomes known. You'll, you, you'll probably know them because they made a ton of low-budget movies and horror movies. Like They made the Hellraiser series and they made ah. the Warlock series. And they also made the first Punisher movie in 1991 because it's all connected. <laughs> but it, in, you're in really riding that catchphrase. You're really riding it. 
it's in, this is insane. I was like conspiracy board guy doing <laughs> all this. 1986, New World Entertainment buys both Marvel Comics yeah. and Marvel Productions. And it merges them into a new company called the Marvel Entertainment Group. But mm. not long after that, 89, New World are having a lot of cash flow problems. And they end up sort of being... Right, so what they first try and do is they try... <laughs> They need to shore up their 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 cash flow with money, so they're going to sell, but not everything. Mm. So they sell Marvel Comics because they don't want that. And they sell that yeah. to Ron Perlman, not that Ron Perlman. I was about to say Ronald Perlman, um, <laughs> but they don't sell Marvel Productions because they want to be able to keep making uh, Marvel stuff, right? But. That doesn't last long because Ron Perlman now knows who's a cutthroat shark businessman with this vast company that owns all sorts of other companies. He now knows New World are in trouble. So he buys Marvel Comics to begin with, and then before long, he doesn't just buy Marvel Productions from New World, he buys New World Entertainment. Wow. <laughs> you, oh, you only want to sell me a little bit of it. Yeah, a little bit of Marvel. I'll that, buy the whole. I'll buy your entire company then. That's quite a Tony got. Tony Stark move, isn't it? Isn't it just now? Yeah. Ron 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 Perlman, Ronald Perlman presided over Marvel during a huge boom period in superhero comics, and then he was a large part of, of Marvel's bankruptcy in the nineties. We've talked about Ron Perlman extensively on our Age of Apocalypse bonus episode. Check that out on Patreon to hear mm-hmm. about the, the kind of rise and fall of of Marvel, the boom and the bust. Perlman, at the time he per- makes his purchase of Marvel and then of New World, is quoted as saying at the time about Marvel, he says, in 1989, in 1989, he says, Marvel is a mini Disney. Ooh, hello, hello. In terms of intellectual property, Marvel is a mini Disney. Disney's got much more highly recognised characters and softer characters, whereas our characters are termed action heroes. But Marvel, but at Marvel, we are now in the business of the creation and marketing of characters. This is very important because we now have at the head of Marvel or at the head of Marvel's parent company, someone who sees value in these characters and stories outside of comic books. Someone whose focus is not purely comic books, for better or for, for worse. Um, Perlman goes on his spending spree during the late 80s and the early 90s. He doesn't just buy Marvel and New World. He buys up trading card companies like Fleer. Um, if you were a kid in the ni- in the 80s and 90s, trading cards were huge. Didn't matter. I mean, sports, obviously, sports trading cards are massive. But when I was growing up, what got me into, into uh, WWF wrestling was trading cards and sticker albums. When, when the Batman movie came out in, in the late 80s, I was too young to see it. But I got the trading cards. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie comes out. I had all the trading cards <laughs> to the point where I was trying to piece the movie together by what happened on the trading cards. 
and and so he, he buys Fleer. He buys a toy company called Toybiz, and Toybiz is headed up by a man called Avi Arad. These are the business moves that will change Hollywood and Marvel forever, because these are the building blocks being put in place for the MCU. Avi Arad was put in charge of Marvel films because that's what that's what Pillman now owns. And later on in the nineties, he's instrumental in creating and running Marvel Studios and signing the deals that would bring Blade, X Men, and Spider Man to the silver screen, launching this incredible world we've been exploring. And then, as that started to get very popular. Avi is instrumental in creating Marvel Studios, which is the, the ball game that we all now go and beat the door down to watch. <laughs> um, so, so that that is this structure coming together. Um, one second. Yes, you drink a swig of beer for the working man. On the animation side, um, once New World, once Perlman bought New World and Marvel. Because of what New World owned, they now Marvel are now owned by a company which owns TV production companies, TV stations all across America. So, for non non US listeners, a very basic outline of American television. All across America, there are independent uh, TV stations that broadcast locally to certain regions. Right. These TV stations will sign a deal with one of the big TV networks like NBC or CBS. Mm. Okay, and and so let's say you sign up to NBC. NBC will then broadcast their national TV shows to the local stations, but right. they only broadcast okay. in the morning and then again from like six p.m. to midnight. The other time left in between is the time when the TV station can rent. Um, syndicated TV shows like Jerry Springer, Oprah Winfrey, mm. Star Trek, or repeats of things like sitcoms that are no longer still being made, Friends and Seinfeld when they went into syndication was it a big deal because they're so so popular you can rent those kind of episodes whenever you want, put them on, and get really good advertising revenue, which you get to keep a hundred percent of if you're the local TV station. So now Marvel Productions are owned by a company that owns TV stations all across the country. Mm. And in December 92, New World Animation um, is, is created and, uh, you know, from scratch. And, and their, their design is to produce $20 million worth of family entertainment cartoons. Um, part of which is going to be the Marvel Action Hour. So... Here's what I'm driving at. There's an opportunity for some real money-making corporate synergy here, okay? <laughs> we, we detailed on the X-Men animated episode how hard it was to get the X-Men cartoon on the air. It took them years to find a TV company willing to do it. And then when they did that, they had all these problems with the TV production company, the studio making the cartoon, who didn't really listen to them, and, and they had all these, these um, shortcuts and flubs and stuff. And then when it, only when it was a success did they then manage to be able to get a toy company to make the toys for it. Well, wow. now, Perlman owns Marvel characters, TV production companies, TV stations, 
and toy companies. You don't have to ask anyone, you just do it. You can take a character you own, have a production company that you own, make a cartoon that you own, and and then in the great in the great kind of uh, uh, schematic and blueprint of He-Man and Transformers and GI Joe, you can have that cartoon designed entirely to sell toys. And the toys will be made by a toy company that you You own. own. (laughs) And the cartoon will be broadcast. You don't have to ask anyone. The cartoon will be broadcast on every single TV station across the country that you own. you own. (laughs) So basically, yes, this is the next Disney. He he had that right in mind, didn't he? This is... The synergy of this is just beautiful. So... So part of that $20 million family entertainment content was an animation block that they called the Marvel Action Hour, Okay, mm. launching a new Iron Man cartoon, new Fantastic Four cartoon, back-to-back, with each episode getting a special little video introduction by Stan Lee himself. No. No. Yeah. So uh, 1994, two years after the X-Men cartoon first appeared, on the Fox network, the Marvel Action Hour is broadcast by over 40 stations into homes all over the country. Mm. And it's accompanied immediately by a line of action figures and toys made by Toy Biz, which they now own. Um, in the UK, it was uh, Marvel Action Hour was broadcast on Sky um, and then on and then and then in 1996 the BBC broadcast it Saturday mornings as part of the Saturday Aardvark show <laughs> which featured like for some reason all Saturday morning television on BBC in fact for a long time on both BBC and ITV had to feature like it was a magazine show it mm. couldn't just show cartoons there had to be something holding it all together whether it was a bus or a wacky house or a giant motor mouse yeah. motor mouth I don't ever understand that one this one it was an it was a, a weird children's puppet called Otis the Aardvark. I children's remember. puppets children's puppets are huge were huge in this country yes. for children's television. Absolutely. Can you name any others, Will? Uh Gordon the Gopher. Mm-hmm. There were oh who's the badger? A bit Bodger and Badger. Uh yes, that's yeah, but that was a show. But yes, you're right, yeah. Oh Rolling Ziggins, Rat as well. Z- Zig and Zag. Zig and Zag from the Planet Zag. Zog. So, so because um, because the Marvel Action Hour was on the BBC in '96, it didn't have any adverts. So the Marvel Action Hour now only totaled forty minutes of runtime. <laughs> so to make up the extra time, rather than you can't call it the Action Hour and not be an Action Hour, and it's already created to make up the time, Marvel added episodes of the old 1980s Hulk cartoon. To flesh it out to a full hour, so when you watch it on the BBC, the Marvel Action Hour was uh, the Iron Man cartoon, the Incredible Hulk cartoon, the Fantastic Four cartoon. Um, the I'm vaguely, of, of... I'm getting a, a weird memory now of them Ooh. doing something with the Incredible Hulk cartoon, actually. Uh, but I think it might be with my same memory of when they had the Spider Man cartoon on. So I don't know if I'm getting confused with that, but something twigged in my head. Something twigged. We're going to get to it. We're going to get to it as we watch it all. Mm. Um, th- th- this line of, of, of toys that came out on the back of it had its issues because okay. what they built was like um, 
an, uh, uh, a base action figure with clip-on parts for Ooh, the armor. Okay. Shoulder, you clip on the shoulders, you clip on the gauntlets, you clip on this, that, and the other. Um, and and did that they didn't always fit, and there was apparently quite a lot of issues with them. But I freaking loved this toy line. Um, it meant like so when you're building a, a, when you're building a toy line, you need to be able to make lots and lots and lots of toys. Okay. A thing happened if you if you watch um, some of those great uh, some of those great toy documentaries on Netflix, the toys that made us. Yeah. The one yeah, on yeah. the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is really eye opening because what they came up against was they suddenly had a smash hit toy line, but not enough characters, and so the toys just got derivative, as they did like. Western cowboy turtles, and then <laughs> L.A. surfing turtles, and then um, samurai ninja turtles, <laughs> and it was just falling apart. Yeah, but with the Iron Man pot, what you could do is you could do every different set of armor as a mm. different action figure. Now. Nerdy old old uh, little little childhood Rob here was able to get his hands on armors that had never like I had a basic Iron Man figure from the seventies, very basic. Mm. I was able to get my hands on the Scarlet Centurion armor, my favorite armor of all time. Could you remind us kind of, what that armor is? What the Scarlet Centurion? That's the red and silver armor. Ah. Um, Iron Man 2 there's a version of it when he's at NASCAR and he comes out of the briefcase and he suits up mm-hmm. That's that, that colour scheme but then you could get the stealth armour and the space armour and, um, I, and can't because- Im- I can't imagine uh, Iron Man ever resorting to stealth I just can't imagine him doing that <laughs> um, I know what you mean but there, there was a that yeah yeah you're, because you're thinking of um, tech god Tony Stark, yes. which didn't exist until way later down the line. <laughs> this is a Tony. This is an Iron Man that was not not that powerful. Um, and then there's Hulkbuster armor. They they make a war machine. They make a a freaking Modok figure, which I got to own as well. The episodes that you'll know, and and part of this is, is what we're about to talk about now because. You can do quite a bit with Iron Man's armor, mm. but you—it's not enough for a toy line, which is why we have so many villains in this series, right? So many villains. <laughs> if anything, will too many villains. I was wondering why they all looked so different, and the episodes didn't just feature Iron Man. Mm. Perhaps because of the success of the X Men cartoon, but I believe probably because a toy line needs lots of these money making, you know, characters to make money. Yeah. It was decided to feature Iron Man and the team that he was a part of in 1994, Forceworks. Um, would you like to hear a little, a little history of Forceworks, Will? Sure. Why not? Why not? We're here. We might as well. We've mentioned uh, on the show a couple of times the existence of a second team of Avengers, the West Coast Avengers. (laughs) A team created in the 80s to expand the Avengers to the other side of America, founded by Hawkeye. 
uh, under direction. Uh, so the Avengers chairman at that point in the eighties was, was the Vision, and the Vision said, "Stupid to just be in Manhattan." And so Hawkeye, off you go, travel to the other side of the country where where you're not annoying us anymore, and create some more Avengers. So the West Coast Avengers is where we see the Vision become a completely different character. It's where we see the weird and crazy events of Wanda's children take place, uh-huh. which is very um, very noteworthy and talkative at the moment in the current sphere. And you can hear all about that if you go to the Patreon episodes that we've got on House of M, patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. So that's where the West Coast Avengers take place. Lots of different characters run through it. Iron Man, War Machine, Doctor Strange is there for sometimes Spider-Man briefly. There's a coming and going of different characters to the West Coast Avengers. But after Hawkeye's wife is killed in battle, and there's this whole bunch of infighting and turmoil of people coming and going, it's decided by the Avengers that the West Coast expansion has been a failure. And Captain America and the East Coast guys order the West Coast team be disbanded and everyone come back to Manhattan to follow orders and be told what to do. Mm. That doesn't go down very well. Um, Tony Stark and the remaining West Coast Avengers hate that idea, hate being told that they failed and that they they were that they weren't really properly being Avengers and they need to come back and mm. let Daddy tell you what to do. <laughs> so they all en masse quit the Avengers Ooh. and Tony puts together this new team privately funded by him on the West Coast now called Forceworks. Mm. This is a time when the Avengers suck. <laughs> we just <laughs> see Frank... We discussed that on the House of M episode. This is a period of time when Iron Man sucks. Get rid of any thoughts of Robert Downey Jr. and the MCU. Get rid of any thoughts of this this uh, genius tech god. Get rid of any images of even the classic stories of the 70s and 80s that we talked about. Mm. 1994 Iron Man sucks. <laughs> we are just a couple of years off Marvel ditching Tony Stark and rebooting the entire comic book with a teenager wearing the Iron Man armor because that's how bad things have got creatively and commercially Avengers and Iron Man are not selling well while superhero comics are in the throes of the anti-hero era, the grim and gritty the ultra macho the extreme violence strike first that is what people want in their in their comic books and you don't get that with the avengers the traditional the heroes we work for the united nations we live in a mansion competitors like image comics and dark horse comics were capturing that market but marvel and dc were completely falling behind so Forceworks is an attempt to make a very 90s, to the extreme comic. Do you remember to the extreme in, in everything? This is not just Pepsi. It's Pepsi Max. All I can this think- is not just peanuts. 
These are extreme nuts. And like peanuts spelt with a three. Uh, all I can think of is Poochie the dog. Poochie the dog on The Simpsons. Hey, look, don't you do that face. Don't you slap your head. Otherwise, I'll slap your head for you with my own fists. I mean, that was a great parody of that kind of period in the 90s. That was, that was, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. It was. As well as yeah. contributing to it. So, um, it, 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 the, the, they launched this, this Comic Force Works to be this opposite number to the Avengers, mm. m- making them darker and more tragic in their stories and having them become ultra macho and violent. Like, this, this new team won't be saving people from disasters and crises. They will use a supercomputer and Wanda's crazy magic powers to predict the future and aggressively attack things before they have a chance to become a threat. That's Forceworks. Um, Okay. So basically, Minority Report. Minority Report with super jacked muscles and massive weapons and guns. So basically, Minority Report to the extreme. <laughs> kind of Team America meets Minority Report. <laughs> That's and, a crossover I like. And, and and Marvel are not alone in doing this. DC Comics were doing exactly the same thing with Justice League. Justice League was facing the same problems. They're having the same the same creative issues. They're having the same commercial issues. So DC Comics create extreme justice <laughs> literally what it's called a team of ex justice league members <laughs> who are sick of reacting to terrible events and now want to aggressively attack potential threats around the world exactly the same as force works exactly the same year okay um because when you say extreme point, all i'm thinking of is batman coming through the window on a skateboard doing a heel flip that kind of extreme. Oh, much like Force Works, it features none of the popular characters that people want to see. It's oh, Captain Atom, God. Blue Beetle, and some others. <laughs> and it includes it includes a time they travel to a they invade a sovereign nation and murder an entire army. Extreme wow. justice. Wow. So, <laughs> but the, the, it was it, it did not last very long. But there are important things for us to know about Force Works. Okay. It's the beginning of a lot of personality traits that would stick in Tony Stark forever mm. and become traits that defined the character and then would become part of the MCU. Mm-hmm. So Stark had always been big-headed yep. and loved himself, but here he he quits the Avengers because... Captain America and Black Widow and Vision basically won't do what he says. They do not agree with him. And he can't be on that team anymore. He he creates his own team of people who will do whatever he wants. This marks a shift in Tony Stark's personality. From here on out, he becomes a character that is not happy unless his his is the loudest voice in, in the room. Yeah. Like, and everyone is bending to his philosophy on protecting the world he's perfectly happy to let Captain America come up with a battle plan yeah he's perfectly happy to let 
wander, actually run the logistics of a team, but this is my team, and if I say we invade that country, or we create Ultron, or whatever, we do it because I've decided that's what... that I'm the only one that can see how this world needs to be protected. This is the first time we get that Tony Stark. It had never been there before. So that's a really key building block of the character we get in the MCU. And and the Tony Stark that has existed really from that point on in all the comics. Um, and, and, and Forceworks also introduces this idea of, of Stark taking absolute authority into his own hands. <laughs> I am not working for the United Nations or the government or any government or the Avengers. I am um, whatever I decide... Whatever course of action I decide is right to protect the world is right. <laughs> and how much of that did we see in, in Age of Ultron? Oh, absolutely. I, I was about to say uh, Civil War as well. But yes, uh, Age of Ultron especially. So this is the, this, this, this cartoon series, the, the, the building blocks of the business put together um, how we're going to see... The, the the rest of, of of the Marvel studios and films being produced and we get Avi Arid coming in and then the content is Force Works, which is really this building block of a new Tony Stark. We have been deluged with communi cards since uh, in the last couple of weeks since since our, our downloads have been shooting higher than we I mean we've we've had a really great 2021 uh, January was one of our best months and then looks like February is going to be better than January and that's great but we really love it when you guys get in touch and send us little communiques and and reach out and let us know what you think of the show and what you enjoy and and how we have reached you during these very trying testing and weird times you can do that by uh, dropping a line to marvel versus marvel at gmail.com or alternatively you can you can send us a little short tweet at marvel versus is where you'll find us and hey if you find us on twitter that's where you get to hear loads of updates and um and things like that about what's coming up will have you got anything for us to see to, to hear sorry not to, to hear see there is in, no seeing in, in a podcast no one can see the sack in the podcast. Anyway, two letters here. We've got one from Sean, who has written in to say, I sent a photo for your Twitter showing you guys the comic collection I've built up thanks to your suggestions on the podcast. Firstly, I'd like to say I'm a big fan of the podcast. Over the course of the whole lockdown period, I've grown quite attached to the Marvel Universe like I was a kid again. The show gets me through my work shifts every night. I binge listened the first time around, then I listen to them all again, and now I listen to a random episode every night at work just so I soak what? in that history. Wow. I was wondering Sean. why our downloads were so high. <laughs> Sean, 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 that's fantastic. He's not the only guy that we hear doing this kind of thing, but we love it whenever we hear it. We love that you can binge. We love that what we put in the archive is, I mean, it's evergreen content, baby. If you're a marketer, <laughs> we know what that word means. It, it, it doesn't go off, it doesn't go stale, it doesn't dry up, it doesn't fade away you can go back to these episodes and you can kind of enjoy them again, which is really cool. Um, <clears throat> really, really cool. And we do hear from people that, you know, it helps them get through these night shifts and these longer days and whether they're training or down the gym or clearing out the attic or actually working for a living. Sorry, yeah. carry on with Sean. 
That's the case. She says, your show is so laid back, full of information, and takes a big chunk of, up of my work shift. Thanks to my five-year-old daughter, we started our journey through the MCU during the first week of the original lockdown, and we've been hooked ever since. I was a big Marvel fan during my childhood and early teens, but never got round to the MCU till 2020. After wow. we, I know, that's, that's, that's a big load. After we finished the movies, we ventured down to our local comic book store so we could get her some cool reading material. We walked away with some Spider-Man and Miles Morales comics. After we read them, I got the bug for comics myself. Fast forward You'll to now. to see it. Yeah, there we go. That's, that's, your, that's you sprinkling your seeds. Fast forward to now, I have over 200 comics and between 10 to 15 omnibuses slash trade publications. I've got to say... Uh, actually, actually... Uh, uh, uh. Just going to step in there. Uh, Sean is displaying some of his wonderful uh, uh, in, insider lingo knowledge, but uh, TPB, as Sean has written, is trade paperbacks. Trade paperbacks. Sorry, trade sorry, paperbacks. I don't know that because I've never read a Marvel comic, have I, Rob? You cruel person. Uh, Listen, this was your idea as well. I don't. I'm starting to get every week. It's like you're blaming me for it. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, you deserve it. <laughs> you wanted to do this show. I, I had nothing else to do. <laughs> anyway, he says, I've got to say, at least seventy percent of them must be from your podcast recommendations. Oh, that's got to that's got to hit you in the heart in a nice way. My, it is. I just kind of wish Marvel would give us like a kickback. <laughs> yeah, at least at least get Robert Downey Jr. to shout at my face for a bit. That would be just a, just like a just like a I don't know like point five percent. That's all. Oh God, yeah, we could definitely. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, my favorite episode... only only of the only of the comics that are sold on the back of us. I'm not asking oh, for yeah. any of that movie money. Don't turn your head nose up at the movie money. Anyway. My favourite episodes have to be the Punisher episode, which led me to buy everything Garth Ennis has written for the character. Quite possibly wow. my favourite run, yet being Punisher Max. Oh, mate. Wow. Yeah. That's, there's a lot to buy there as well. Oh, yeah. Because he wrote that character for like 10 years. <laughs> Daredevil as well. What an episode. This led me to getting caught up on Chip Zaki's current run and also make a start oh. on collecting Frank Miller's original run. Only eight comics to go to complete that. Sean, that's that's incredible. That's incredible to collect. I mean, Frank Miller's run, as problematic as Frank is, and it's quite dated in the 80s, it's, it's exciting to have it. You're mm. watching a character change dramatically and evolve incredibly. And I've got to say, that Chip Zdarsky is... Fin- I adore it. it. Aside from the little bit at the end, uh, which I don't want to spoil, where a certain... I can't get... But something <laughs> weird happens... <laughs> Right at the bit with Matt, and it's a bit odd, but it's been a wonderful ride so far. I'm with you there, Sean. It's great. I hope you didn't spoil anything by saying, you know, the bit with the thing with the man. <laughs> I was thinking, alert. should I, but I, I don't want people to. I don't want to take it. I don't want to ruin it. So yeah, I can't no, say anything. No, no, no. Trust me, you you haven't ruined anything for anyone. <laughs> And of course, the latest One Division episode. As soon as I finished the show, I ordered Tom King's The Vision. I'm halfway through that. It's a lot darker than I was expecting, and I love it. I look forward to all future episodes. And once this pandemic is finally over and my workplace is back to normality, I'll definitely be doing the right thing via Patreon. Oh, Sean will be here, waiting patiently to embrace you into the inner circle of the Versaverse when that happens. What a great, what a great email. 
love to hear the specifics of what people like and love to see that we are expanding people's kind of uh, exposure to the Marvel Universe as well. That's really cool, man. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, I feel like a public service. This is excellent. Also, we got Darren got in touch to talk cartoons. Hi, guys. Ooh. Been listening for a month now and love the show. I started listening because of all the MCU stuff you covered, but really wanted to let you know how excited I am that you're going to be doing more of the cartoons from my childhood. I think I've had a strange relationship with Marvel. I watched Haven't all... we all? Oh, <laughs> Haven't we all? Haven't we all? I watched all the cartoons and bought all the toys and games when I was a kid, and I loved all the movies that come out. But I'm like Will. I've never read, really, never read a real Marvel comic. I actually think I forgot most of the Marvel cartoons until you guys started talking about them. I loved your episode on the X-Men cartoon, but I'm really excited for this Iron Man one. Me and my brother would get up every Saturday morning to watch the Marvel Action Hour and fight each other in front of the TV until our parents (laughs) got up and stopped us. I have memories of doing this too. I have memories of doing this, and I don't know why we did it. Well, it's because uh, certain certain uh, some lads are yeah. brimming. I, I remember getting like like uh, almost shaking with excitement and yeah. and unexploded energy when when I watched anything with action and and a bit of fighting in. And I was just like, I wanna, I wanna fight, and not really fight, but I wanna, I wanna rough and tumble. I wanna grab people and grapple and throw them around. And I, I think the last time I got that excited was when I got a package through the door and inside was a new copy of Goldeneye for the N64. <laughs> you wanted to grapple somebody. I wanted I I was so excited. That, wow. I'm just I I'm just going on sheer excitement. I I wasn't a grapply boy as a kid. Oh, in front of the tele. Oh yes, grapple and fight all day uh, long, especially like, if it was wrestling on. Oh, yeah. Oh, we never used to watch wrestling until our teens, but that's another story. Uh, Jump off the settee and elbow drop my uh, <laughs> my mate who lived three doors down. And we, my mate, my mate Matthew, growing up from the age of four to the age of sixteen, my mate, me and my mate Matthew lived three doors apart. Uh, both sets of our parents worked all the time, so after school, his mom would be looking after us. But his mom was a nurse who worked nights, so she was. Fully, completely asleep, <laughs> and so we would just we would just tear the house apart <laughs> until we made damage so loud she'd wake up and yell at us. Oh, God. shout out, Matt! It was a great time. Sorry, we interrupted. No, no, that, that, I like that. that was he brilliant. was fighting his brother. I think he was fighting his, his brother. brother. I don't remember loads about the Iron Man cartoon, except that it wasn't just Iron Man. He had a whole team that made it seem a bit like the X Men to me, which I loved. I thought I'd only be interested in your episodes about modern movies, but you guys keep uncovering things I'd forgotten about, like Blade and these cartoons. Oh. Please keep it up. We thank you, Darren. We 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 love hearing from you. We've had a surge in Blade in the last month as well. Yeah, every just uh, I, I, you know, not not. It's a great episode. I, I really think it's a strong episode. It is. Um, but it, it obviously it shows that that character. You know, you look around at the fandoms on Reddit and and, um, and and the Facebook groups, and you don't always see a lot there for Blade. So it's really cool to see that that fandom is out there and is strong. Um, and of course, there's talk of us getting. Uh, we're definitely getting more Blade in one form or another. Thanks to everyone that got in touch uh, there, uh, Sean and Darren. Uh, there are more that we don't always get round to. Um, you can uh, drop us your, your emails to marvelversusmarvel at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at 
Marvel versus. Send us a short tweet or just uh, follow us so you can find out what the next episode are, what new plans are coming up. When, that's the first place we... Well, it's the second place we tell the world what's going on because the first place is the real site where the inner circle live, where the VIEPs and the cats and kittens that do the right thing live, and that is Patreon or Patreon.com. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. That's that's our website. That's where our, our you can get early access to all the episodes. That's where you can communicate with us directly and ensure, guarantee that we read your communique open uh, out loud. Sorry, uh, open it and and read it aloud on the air and respond and get in touch with you and message you back and say what did you think of this and start a little dialogue. Um, and then you can ask for some feet pics, and we say no, we don't do that here. And then we can, you know, tell you where our only we've, fans. We, is. We've had feet pics, and you hid this from me. <laughs> no, we get requests for feet pics. Oh um, right. Uh, oh, but to be fair, oh. every living human is, gets re- re- requests for feet pics. I, That's I, just what happens. I in just didn't know how to monetize it until now. Apparently, that's also patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel is where our bonus episodes live. Sean and the others talk about it. You binge, you get to the end, and you want more. You need more, so you binge again. You've watched the, you've listened to the whole series twice, all the way through. And what happens the next time you're at work? You need more. Yes. Well, you can keep listening to those episodes in the archives, which, if anything, improve with every listen. But the real G's. And the real VIEPs <laughs> can get more content, more episodes out of us each and every month. This month, we dropped our latest full-length bonus episode on Patreon. It's the thing everyone is talking about, the thing everyone is tweeting about and posting about and attempting to write blogs and YouTube videos about. Talking House of M. One division will is the hottest thing in the world right now. Everyone's trying to connect it to the House of M. And let me tell you, I've checked out some of these YouTube videos on House of M and these blogs on House of M, and they've all been created and written by people <laughs> who were not there at the time. People who were not reading comics 17 years ago. People who do not remember and also have not done the footwork, the groundwork, the research. People who think skimming Wikipedia entry is enough. <laughs> well, the MVM House of M episode is the definitive word on that event. It has all the context. It has all the analysis, all the behind-the-scenes goings-on to not just take you through the cool wonder story, but to carve out another chapter in Marvel history. Will, is it an hour before we get to talk about House of M? Because we've got so much build-up to do. We've got the other important story to get to, Avengers Disassembled. If you don't have that building block, you can't understand House of M. It's all there in the MVM House of M, the House of MVM episode, as I'm going to call it. There's a lot of M's involved. Fuzzy Dunlop the third, he's been down since the first time we were on Patreon. He shared his thoughts on our latest bonus episode, and you'd love to see it. He says, How do the bonus episodes keep getting better? 
I loved Superior Spider-Man and Daredevil and the Punisher episode. And then you release Age of Apocalypse. I thought that was the best episode of Marvel vs. Marvel hands down ever. All the stuff you did about Marvel going bankrupt (laughs) and the artists not getting paid enough and walking out, starting Image Comics, it was all so cool. I tell you what, that thing you told me about what happened, about them going bankrupt, I am still, still angry about that. That is so bad. That is such a bad thing to happen. Ron Perlman did it to himself. Mm. And he made, Will, an awful lot of money doing it. Horrible. But this month, Fuzzy says, but this month I've got to change my favourite episode again. Because the House of M show is your best one yet. No cap. I'm led to believe no cap is youth speak for not lying. No lies here. No cap. Ah, words that I don't know. Hearing about the Avengers being a comic that sucked, Marvel Comics cancelling it, Wanda going crazy and all that stuff... Before the House of M even started, I really feel like we got two episodes this month on Patreon. Avengers Disassembled and Mm -hmm. House of M. And they were both so, so good. And they're making me watch WandaVision with a very different perspective. Ah, ha, ha. Mm. Yeah, that's something to think about as well. There's a certain character you'll have a very different perspective on. No spoilers here. No, no spoilers. Although I have a song stuck in my head. (laughs) Knowing that my money is helping to make these episodes is even sweeter. Fuzzy, thank you so much. Your love and support. He was one of the first £3 um, patrons to do the right thing. And then when we introduced the VIEP tier, where you can get bonus episodes, he was one of the first to um, advance advance his pledge, alter his pledge, (laughs) up his pledge, put more in the coffer, um, which meant he he directly contributed to the, the our sound equipment, our recording equipment, our hosting equipment, all of that sort of stuff. It's not free. It's not cheap to make the show. It takes us blood, sweat, and tears. So we have a special place in our heart for everyone that goes to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Even if they just give that £3 to help keep the lights on, we reward them with benefits and we show our appreciation with some uh, some cool content there. We've got a uh, a big a big a free a big bonus episode coming up to everyone on Patreon. Once One Division is over, me and Will are going to sit down, have a little fireside chat about One Division free form. Mm. Uh, just talk about it in depth and, and what we think and our feelings. It's not going to be you know history and context and all that thoughts and opinions. That's going to be going out to everyone on the three pound tier um, in the next uh, couple of weeks. Once One Division is finished, there's only two more episodes left. So make sure you get in while the going is good. You head to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. It is the Iron Man animated series part of the Marvel Action Hour that we are looking at. We've laid the table. We've paid the bills. We've heard from the fans. We've dealt with the history that takes us up to this point. What we're taking a look at today, as we did with the X-Men, is the first two episodes that were broadcast. In this case, it's not a two-part uh, two-part story. It is the bafflingly titled, And the Sea <laughs> Shall Give Up Its Dead. And the second episode, Rejoice, I Am Ultimo, Thy Deliverer. Uh, which, oh, those are definitely the titles they've chosen. Uh, <laughs> Will, with episode one, why don't you take away? 
episode one. Oh yes, the baffingly titled "And the Sea Shall." Come on, I love this. And the sea shall give up its dead. I mean, it does make sense. I mean, it makes sense. They're the quite co- Shakespearean titles, though. They they are. I mean, I, let's have a look at the list of the others. No, no, no. Those are the only Shakespearean titled ones. Anyway, starting on episode one, and the sea shall give up its dead. At a U.S. naval facility in a frozen wasteland, a signal was picked up from a restricted area, and it theorizes it must be a Russian nuclear submarine. <clears throat> but an assisting technician thinks it is something else. He orders her to try contacting them and see if they are in trouble. Inside the Russian sub, the crew detects an intruder and goes to investigate. Inside a room, they see a blonde woman, Hypnosia, looking at a glowing cube. Before they can get the drop on her, she turns and hypnotises the two and laughs as they freeze. She picks up a device, saying that one year from now, they'll become an army of the living dead to serve the Mandarin, before escaping the submarine, sinking it in the process. The two men are still frozen in place in the now underwater corridor. Suddenly, they are coated with a strange substance that bonds them. Zombies. Why does everything have to have zombies? And I'm speak- what's, every- what's everything? Films, uh, comics. Oh, do you just mean why do zombies exist? No, yeah, I, 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 even though I speak as a very, very big Resident Evil fan, it does feel like, cause like zombies are just there to... When, when you run out of ideas, you just shove zombies in. <clears throat> I think it, it feels. It, it, I mean, it's a bit different if it's like a zombie movie or The Walking Dead, where they are the thing. Yeah. But I, I think you're right when they're used, you know, as just a little crutch, yeah, a little gimmick. It's like a yeah, yeah like gimmick. And I just, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I get really annoyed about it. Also, Hypnosia. Hypnosia, which is definitely not an island uh, in Greece. <laughs> what can you tell us about her? Oh, not, I mean, well, okay, <laughs> D- despite this series featuring one million Iron Man villains, they also decided to create one just for the cartoon. Hypnosia is not a comic book character. Oh. Um, she's an original <laughs> Iron Man animated thing. Um, her powers and her costume design are really similar to an X-Men villain character called Vertigo. Okay. Really similar. But but not. Um so I don't know. I don't quite I, I so I don't understand. I can see them saying we need a female villain, mm. a regular female villain. One of the things you see in this Iron Man cartoon is that the Mandarin has got his regular crew that he uses in pretty much every episode and then there are a few like one-offs that come and go. Yeah. So I can see someone sitting down in the planning stage saying, "Oh, we 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 need a female villain just to even things out a tiny bit." Um, but they've got Madame Mask is a relatively important, memorable Iron Man villain with a cool design. She's female. She appears later on in the series. I don't know why, if you need a female villain, you don't use her ongoing instead of this created character. Uh, very odd, but there we go. Yeah. Madame Mask. Madame Mask. She wears a mask. And she's a lady, therefore madam. So back to the story. 
during a session with his physical therapist. Just to, just to, just to interrupt, Madam Mask is by leaps and bounds not the craziest or worst villain name we are going to talk about in this episode. There's two you don't know about. <laughs> uh, I, I was going to bring in my old favourite. It's got to appear in this episode. All oh, right, because I thought you said that this is clearly not the worst villain, worst most stupidly named villain. I was like, no, 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 no. I thought you were going to name my favourite stupidly named villain. Who's your Who's your favourite? Stilt Man. How is that stupid? He wears stilts. It's a perfect name, but it's stupid. The whole concept if, is stupid. If his name was, uh, uh, I don't know, Deadbolt or uh, oh, Power yeah. Destroyer, you go, no, you're just a man on stilts. Or, his name serves its purpose. Or even he's the Doctor, Ron Seal, Doctor, the Colossus. Ron Seal of the Marvel Universe. Doctor Colossus from The Simpsons did it perfectly. Anyway, I know I, I stuck it in there. People with their bingo cards at home are yelling. In praise, I'm uh, gonna start yelling. You're you bloody you're, you're on one today. You're, I don't know where you are today, but if you just off you go with your Simpsons. You've, you I think you're trying to. I think you know someone's playing a drinking game at home, and I think you're trying to kill them. Yeah, <laughs> that's they, all I can imagine. Did, oh, I had my stag night recently, and there was a Simpsons quiz. Oh God! And I got most of it right. <laughs> Well, of course, you've just watched every... Folks, if you've not paid attention to Will's social media, which I highly recommend you do, he's <laughs> just finished watching every single episode of The Simpsons whilst regularly tweeting about how terrible it becomes. <laughs> <laughs> I do it so no one else has to. <laughs> I, I am the canary. So, during a th- uh, session with his physical therapist, Veronica... Tony is reminded by Rhodes that he has an important seminar to attend before the alarm starts sounding. A tornado passes through the building, throwing Veronica out the window. The intruder is Whirlwind, and he uses his wind powers to blow a hole in the wall of the building, allowing him to steal a precious microchip from Stark. Dread Knight enters on his flying horse and takes Whirlwind back to the Mandarin with the stolen ship. After they've left... Stark checks on Veronica, relieved to see she's alive and well, while Spider-Woman informs Tony that the evil pair tried the same stunt on the armory, but failed. Tony orders Spider-Woman to secure the area before taking Veronica to safety. If Mandarin ever got the secret of Tony's armour, nothing could stop him. So, uh, how many characters are being randomly thrown at in this cartoon? They're just throwing them in, they're throwing them in. Uh, is it is it random? It seems random. There's a Spider Woman. But Why are these ra- these are characters in a story? Why is that random? It, I I they don't feel like they're part of the uh, Iron Man mythos. Well, I haven't explained that they are. It's Force works. Oh, is there this Force? Go. Is this Force works? Well, you will get me. Well, yeah. Uh, well, I, well I, 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 sort of, but not really. This, this is the thing. It's like there is no real introduction to them, so it's just like. Yes, it's just like we, we, and I've watched every episode of the of the first series, and there never is an introduction. That is uh, unbelievable. You think like because you watch this thing, oh, it's about Tony Stark and his mates. It's like wait a minute, why is there why is there a Spider Woman instead of a Spider Man? The more popular, and they don't the more, they don't even like <clears throat> so. I don't know if they. I don't think they've done this. I think they've mm. just lifted the episodes entirely. 
in my memory, like so all the villains get in the title sequence get a little title card. Yes. Whirlwind whirls onto screen and it says Whirlwind and <laughs> Hypnosia does her magic powers and it goes Hypnosia. Only War Machine gets one and that's it. No one else gets a title thing that gives you their name. Yeah, the I know I noticed that. You they... see them. Yeah. But they're just afterthoughts. Yeah, that's It's weird. They they seem like part of the furniture. Also, Tony's armory is something that the bad guy wants to break into in in the comic books. That's 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 the thing, right? In the comic books, not it's, it's used here. We yeah. talked about this, didn't we? We talked about how much this is like He Man, the Masters of the Universe. Essentially, the armory in this series is used like Castle Grayskull in the He Man <laughs> cartoon. The archvillain and his idiot sidekicks are always throwing schemes and plans. To try and break in, because then they'll be supremely powerful. It's not like that in the comic books at all. Um, it's not presented as as being this room of weapons of mass destruction that people would want to steal. I mean, quite frankly, it makes sense if it was, but they they don't really do that. The only the only thing I can think of is that during. Uh, dark reign in the Marvel Universe after Secret Invasion there's this period of time and collection of stories called Dark Reign which is when Norman Osborn the Green Goblin takes over S.H.I.E.L.D. (laughs) and seizes all of Tony Stark's assets at the same time Uh, Stark is on the run from the law with his mind slowly shutting down losing memories so he Ooh. can't help anyone so osborne forms he does all sorts of things he, he he forms his own dark avengers he forms his own dark x-men and he starts living in stark tower and stuff um but he can't get into the armory i mean the armory is always talked to it's not always talked about but the armory is definitely there in marvel law you know it it's it exists it's where Tony works, but it's it's this is this is it. This is the only time I can recall a villain wanting to get into it. Right? Mm. There's nothing at his disposal that allows him to get in. The security is too high, the vaults and the walls and all of that. So he, he brings in an Iron Man villain called the Ghost. Right. The Ghost is a technical genius who invents a sort of suit of armor-ish, but it's 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 a tech suit. It's not armor, but it's a suit, a tech suit that allows him to become invisible and intangible and completely undetectable and he walks through the walls and the vaults and the security barriers gets to the other side shuts down the the system opens up the armory and that's how norman osborne becomes the iron patriot (laughs) he steals steals tony stark's armor sprays it red white and blue and goes out to greet the cheering masses all I can, uh, all I'm thinking now is uh, Rocky Four, with uh, Apollo coming out with James Creed, Brown. Yeah. yeah, all I can think of is that now. Uh, okay, we've covered, th- <laughs> we covered the armory. Let's talk about the villains. Uh, is Wellwind someone from the comic books? He is indeed. Yeah, he'd have he to is be indeed. Yeah, yeah. Now he's a very prolific villain. Um, this uh, marks his first appearance on the screen, but he, he, he got to be in like seven different Marvel cartoons over the years, mm. four different Marvel video games, including the old arcade, Captain America arcade game. One of my all-time favorite villain designs ever. Really? I love I love the, the costume. 
uh, of Whirlwind. It's absolutely fantastic. Stanley, Jack Kirby, early 60s. Um, that redesign uh, is later on, but it's it's the helmet is phenomenal. I just love it. Um, it, it created in the early 60s by Stan and Jack, and he's originally a foe for Ant-Man slash Giant-Man. Um, he is a mutant with the ability... <laughs> To spin, yeah, I've seen, <laughs> very, very fast, yeah. and he can then create wind, you know, cyclones and whirlwinds and stuff. Um, and he he begins his criminal career not with the ability to create wind, but just the ability to spin very fast. And he is a jewel thief called the Human Top, like a spinning top. The the yes, the Human Top. And here's here's the other thing, Will. He is not the only supervillain named the Human Top. There's one in DC as well, the <laughs> Top, the Top. But but after being beaten a bunch of times, uh, he redesigns his costume. He quite smartly puts some spinning blades on his arm, sticks on this big helmet, and becomes Whirlwind. Um, he has a really interesting early on idea and, and and scheme I guess for a period of time he has a secret identity and his secret identity which you don't associate with villains he's the wasp's chauffeur oh god Janet Van Dyne who is the wasp in, in the Marvel comics yeah her identity as the wasp is known to the public she's a famous celebrity fashion designer and he's her chauffeur <laughs> and she doesn't know that he's Whirlwind, and he's initially he's initially hoping to gain um, some info, overhear something, get an itinerary, mm. something like that that will help him defeat Giant Man, uh, defeat the Avengers. But then he sticks around because he really fancies her, and he's wait like the wording is so odd. It's not like I love her. It's like I'm waiting for her to be vulnerable so I can hit on her. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm. One of these days, Giant Man's gonna die, and I'll be here, the chauffeur. Um, then she'll fall for me. It was the sixties. Um, he, yeah, yeah, becomes an Avengers villain. Like he graduates from being a Giant Man villain to being an Avengers villain by he joins um, Ultron's Masters of Evil. So the Masters of Evil are a long-running team of villains that oppose the the Avengers. They've had different leaders over the time. Uh, in Ultron's kind of first storyline, he puts a team together, uh, and Whirlwind's in that. And from then on, he's been in quite a few different... T- he's joined several different incarnations of the Masters of Evil, and he's joined the Lethal Legion a few times. Um, and writers... Down the down the down the years, have also brought back several times that he has this. I, I, I'm you know I, I was tempted to call it a soft spot for the wasp, but then there's one story that goes super dark, so I can't do that. It's an obsession with the wasp. It's an obsession. <laughs> I, I have a fondness for the character because I really like the way he looks. Mm. But then one writer had this really dark thing where. Whirlwind hires prostitutes to dress up like the wasp and then he he beats them. So Oh no. I know man, it's horrible. I don't want that in my comic book. See all I can think now is the IT crowd quote Please be my sexy dead wife. <laughs> Every time you say all I can think now, I'm going if it's Simpsons, I'm gonna 
I'm going to come down the Wi-Fi <laughs> and I'm going to rip your ears off. <laughs> oh, you but no, IT crowd, that's fine. Carry on. That's fine. We're fine with that. Anyway, I will carry on with the story. At their lair, Whirlwind and Dreadnight fly in through the roof and hand it to Mandarin at, at his throne, with Modok sitting beside him. He explains that the chip will allow him to synchronise the device Hypnosia planted on the submarine. In one year, he will have the means to destroy Iron Man. In one year! That is, that is, that, that is akin to... His... Here's the fun thing: yeah. they never ever explain why. <laughs> I don't. I, they, well, it's, they tell us it's a year. They never say why it's a year. I I, I guessed why a year later, but even then, it's sure. like it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. But it's just so. It's almost like that whole uh, th- thing that trope that's been used in movies for like the last fifteen years, where it's like, well, my plan was to get caught all along. It's like that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I know yeah. it got overused, especially like if some films are like like Dark Knight and Skyfall. But it, you look at that now and go, that doesn't make sense. That is stupid. That is a stupid plan to get caught. It's, it's yeah. It's Skyfall, the one where he plans to get kidnapped yeah. and then plans plans to get not kidnapped, plans to get arrested. Yep. Right. Goes to the heart of the MI whatever MI6, six or five MI six building, and then his plan is to escape. And then when he's outside, he detonates the bombs that will blow it all up and kill everyone. What? Why did you do that to begin with? I don't know. I why don't... did you need to go in and come out again? It was so he anyway. could show off his weird tooth thing. Uh, to, back to the character. More, sorry, back to the cartoon. Uh, more random characters. I mean, this is peak Saturday morning cartoon. They just wanted a lot of toys made, obviously. You can tell that. <clears throat> yeah, I, 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 I think it's, it's quite obvious it's a mistake to do all of these characters. Like, because we are nowhere near done. <laughs> <laughs> there's still two things about to happen that don't need to happen <laughs> two villains about to arrive that don't need to be there and don't do anything really um yeah it's 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 uh it is like they are trying to in the first episode go we need to get all the characters on the screen so people will start buying the toys straight away yeah it's like it's like a marketing but, technique if yeah. that meant I got all the toys that I wanted as a kid, I am perfectly fine with that because the toys <laughs> for this series were amazing, and I will fight, live, and die on that hill. <laughs> See, I think after a while, most action figures for me are just the same. Like you, you, you get to that age, and you go, no, 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 I'm not going to have the action figures. I'm going to have the twelve-inch action figure that you just have on a shelf. Oh, I hate them. I can't stand them. Yes, yeah, so I I don't see the point in can't them. Can't stand the big ones. No, proper proper action figures that you yeah, can proper proper little action figures and moving parts. That I, I... Someone can play with. Yeah, I mean, I don't play with them. I haven't. That, that's what that's what puts me off. I, I see so many now. Mm. As a child, I, I I didn't always have money to get what I wanted. I, I had you know I didn't I didn't I didn't grow up in the in the gutter. I I had a nice nice little life, a nice little childhood, and I did have lots of toys, and it was cool. But there is still awesome ones they never got a lot of the time because things were especially with comic books and superheroes the toys were all over in america and only if you had the cartoon series would you or, or something big happened over here would you get them hmm. there's loads i wanted i see them now i could buy them now but they're not cheap 
And I go, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I want it. I want to own it and possess it. But once I've done that and I've spent the money and I've spent 25 quid or whatever, what am I going to do with it? What am I going to do? Am I going to put it on a shelf? Yep. No. I'd feel like an idiot. I'm, I'm not saying you are an idiot. I personally would feel... I wouldn't want to put it on a shelf. So what am I going to do with it? Play with it? I don't. I think that's. I think my imagination is dead. Well, my brother. So what am I going to do? My brother uh, one year got me a Walter White action figure, and it's still boxed. I just hang it on the wall. Yeah. It's still boxed. It's quite nice. It's a nice little gift. I like it. Yeah, I'm not going to hang it on the wall though. Anyway, I want all these toys though. I want all these toys. If it were, if it was financially didn't if it wouldn't financially cripple me, I would want to buy all of these toys. I know that feeling. So, Dread Knight, is there anything you could tell us about Dread Knight and his potential toyness? Now, I'm going to give you a chance to not ask that question. You can decide now, Will. Okay. Do you really want to know about Dread Knight? Not really. Actually, no, no, no. I do want to know about Dread Knight because he has a flying horse and this is mental. You have made an insane choice. Okay. I I, I want to rescind my insane choice. That speaks... No, too late now. That (laughs) speaks very... That that kind of works into the whole Dread Knight lore. Dread Knight is Bram Velsing. Not Bram Stoker. (laughs) Not... (laughs) Not Bram Stoker. And not Van Helsing, but Bram Velsing. Oh, that is so Milhousey. A Latvian scientist, oh. unsatisfied with his job as as one of Doctor Doom's underlings, um, <laughs> he thinks himself superior to Doctor Doom because he works in all of Doctor Doom's projects, and he's like, "I could, I could be the power here," um, and he starts spreading. He starts telling people he works with. I'm smarter than Doctor Doom. You know that new teleportation device he's got? I built that because I'm one of his scientists, so I'm dead smart. I am, and he he calls he calls Doctor Doom in 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 earshot of other people a grotesque mockery of a man, and um, <laughs> that is such a, a, that is such an old fashioned way of insulting. Oh, he's a grotesque mockery of a man. It's more. It's more. Think more tragic. Think more. Um, Gothic literature. Yeah, he is a grotesque mockery of a man. That's what they're going for. Okay? Ah, gotcha. Um, he says out loud to someone else a grotesque mockery of a man about Doctor Doom. So obviously, Doctor Doom finds out about this, and it's a death sentence. Doom. <laughs> Doom decides. <laughs> you think I am a grotesque mockery of a man because I have this metal plate. On my face, on my scarred face. Guess what my reply to that is? <laughs> I will graft this metal helmet to your face. And so he does. He fuses this skull, the white skull that you can see on Dread Knight. That is a metal helmet that Doctor Doom has fused with his skin. <laughs> and. Ugh scars him to make him as grotesque as doom and then he's like who's grotesque now uh, bram velsing right that is your real name 
Bram Velsing uh, isn't dead, but he, he, he flees and he's, he's really, really dying. Um, and he, he flees into vague Eastern Europe where he collapses and comes, <laughs> comes under the care of Victoria Frankenstein. Oh, no, no. I can't descendant, take this. Descendant of Victor Frankenstein. No. And she takes him back to Castle Frankenstein and nurses him back to health. You might and they be said, thinking... And they said that Infinity Wars was the most ambitious crossover. <laughs> oh, Frankenstein appears in... in, in... Because he's because he's public domain, every comic book company uses him. <laughs> DC has used him for years, and and Marvel Marvel like to use him a lot. Um, so Victoria Frankenstein has been previously building weapons and equipment for another Iron Man villain, the Black Knight. Mm. Who's the Black Knight? I know you're desperate to learn, Will. Well, in the 1950s, before Marvel Comics brought superheroes back, mm. Stan Lee was writing a medieval adventure comic called The Black Knight. Kind of like the famous Prince Valiant comic and strip and cartoon and everything. Yeah. The Black Knight is the greatest warrior of his age. He serves King Arthur, but his identity is a secret. It's got kind of a super, it's got a classic 40s, 30s superhero thing to it. Mm. The the Black Knight is really Percy something or other, a lowly bumbling. Oh, I've dropped all the plates, my lord, <laughs> like servant in the castle. But then when King Arthur needs him, he becomes the Black Knight and goes out and chops heads off. Or not that he probably hits people with the flat of the blade and saves them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so once the Marvel Age began, Stan very much likes to fold any of his pre-Marvel characters into the Marvel Universe. <laughs> he loves that. So he introduces a modern-day uh, criminal mm. who is a descendant of the Black Knight who uses modern science fiction weapons. So he's got a lance, a big lance, but it like shoots laser bolts and stuff. Um, and he's, he's like a biogeneticist. So, oh no... No, that must be Victoria. Uh, someone has created for him a flying horse. And so he, he, he puts on the chainmail armour and he goes on a flying horse and he becomes the evil Black Knight and he fights Giant Man and he fights Iron Man. He joins the Masters of Evil and then he dies <laughs> and he's dead and he doesn't come back. So Bram Velsling is in Castle Frankenstein and he gains a variety of weapons from Victoria, all the stuff she'd been building for the Black Knight before he died. And he, he also gains the Hell Horse, which is a black horse with mutated bat wings. Not like lovely feathery wings like Pegasus. It's got black bat wings. And... Um, that's been created by Victoria Frankenstein. Uh, he starts calling himself Dread Knight, and he attempts to force more resources from Victoria Frankenstein to defeat Doctor Doom, only to be beaten up by Iron Man and who? Who do you think? Uh, in this cartoon, no, in the comic, no, no. He's beaten up by Iron Man and 
to War stop him. No, Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. And uh, 10 out of 10 for Frankenstein's monster. He, he, he is summoned after that to uh, by Morgana Le Fay to plague England with crime and villainy and stuff. Mm. But he ends up being defeated by the new Black Knight. <laughs> the third Black Knight, who is the nephew of the evil Black Knight, who died, and the nephew is a good guy, and uses weapons for good, and joins the Avengers. And you asked for this. I gave you the option... You should not to know all of this. Warning may contain random Frankenstein. <laughs> That's what you should and have... 19... May contain Frankenstein and 1950s medieval jousting comics. <laughs> oh, God. I, uh, I, I can happily say for everyone at home that I really regret asking Rob questions. I, I regret doing <laughs> this. I regret this whole podcast. It's too much. <laughs> So that's Dread Knight then. Right, let's get back to the story. One year later, one year later, because <laughs> this is the plan, remember, Rhodes noticed. Sorry, I'm just like, as per... It's the plan with no reason. It's the plan with no thought. It's... Also, Mandarin has been doing nothing for a full year. What, what a li- lovely year they've all had. I, what I like to think is that in that year, he's been doing other things. Uh, and there, there are other oh, episodes that we yeah. haven't seen, maybe. So I think stuff happened then. Uh, That's I, a good idea. That's a good point, yeah. Because if I was going to do... I, 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 I don't have a point to discuss this, so I'll, but I'll discuss it now. If I was doing a plan where I was going to go, okay, I'm going to do this and then wait one year, what i do is continuing doing other stuff to make it less suspicious about me not doing stuff for a year. And you'd have to suck at it as well. You'd have to, which does make sense with the rest of these episodes. Yeah, it it does it does make sense. But that's how I do it. Anyway, I am not that's a, here. That's very good head cannon. I like that head cannon. I I subscribe to that. What's a head cannon? A cannon that only exists in your head. Oh, can I thought you meant like an actual? Never mind, because that would be hardcore. <laughs> Sorry, but like a Humpty Dumpty cannon thing. No, no brother, that I mean, actual- head cannon. I mean. It was, Cannon, continuity. It was discussed in a Deus Ex game by a cyborg. He wanted a head cannon, didn't happen. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Rhodes notices... One year later, one year later, I'll get there in the end. One year later, Rhodes notices that it's been a long time since Mandarin failed to get into Tony's armoury and wanted... It's been a full year. <laughs> a full year. We are not going to get over this, are we? This is a weird hump in the road we are not getting over. Uh it wonders if he's lost interest. Tony shoots him down, saying that the Mandarin would not give up after a single attempt. Right, okay, so headcanon's invalid then. According to the dialogue, he's only made one attempt, and then he's sat on his arse for 12 months. No. That's what they've just said. I would That's like, a shame. I'd That's like a shame. to remind listeners at home, this is a cartoon aimed at children. <laughs> I'm just glad that two grown men in their 30s could bravely come around and shout at it for being wrong. Uh, Tony is then informed by Admiral Younger that the White House wants him involved in Operation Prometheus. Younger explains that on March 11th, the Prometheus, the Russian nuclear sub, disappeared off the coast of Norway. Their task force pinpointed an area off the coast of Scotland where they think the tides took it. He goes on to say that whatever is in the submarine may have the ability to destroy life on Earth 
showing footage taken by the Royal Navy of a British frigate suddenly engulfed in a strange green substance. Meanwhile, their conversation is being spied on <laughs> by Hypnosia and Modoc. I... Well, it's not just any Modoc, is it? The... What's what? How are they disguised, Will? Well, no, uh, she's disguised as a mother, and Modoc is in a pram. A pram. Sorry, and a... Modoc is a giant head guy with a tiny little body in an ex, a, an orange exoskeleton and a floating chair and he is hiding in a pram i know i i i can't get past this it's like I know, it's, it's, sized pram. it's like it's a cartoon name primarily at children i know but i can't take it seriously now also jim cummings uh, doing the voice on there as we've said before because a 90s cartoon isn't a 90s cartoon unless jim cummings is in it <laughs> so we calm down now. We're breathing. Oh, no. we're, we're, I, I'm, I, depends. I'm, depends what you're about to ask me. Will depends because <laughs> we're calm now, but we're not going to be calm in a sec after this question. Is there no better time to talk about Modoc than when he's hiding in a pram? Is now is the time to get but get to what is behind the man in the pram? Who is Modoc? Is he dangerous? And can he rob? Can he hide in a pram? I'm confident he can't hide in a pram. He's massive. I, yeah, I, I okay. was about to say, yeah. So, we need to remember that yep. the Tesseract in the Marvel Universe, the 616, is nothing to do with the Infinity Gauntlet. It's yes. nothing to do with the Infinity Stones. The, 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 it's called the Cosmic Cube, and it's separate from all of that. The, the, the Cosmic Cube is an object of cosmic power that can warp reality and essentially grant wishes. And it was built and created by AIM, the Advanced Idea Mechanics. The beekeeper dudes, they're in bright yellow beekeeper suits. Yes, that's the one. I remember that now. Not uh, Hydra, as I previously thought in the episode. AIM have created the Cosmic Cube, but it is way more powerful than they ever thought. And they don't have the means to study it properly. They... It grants it grants desires and wishes. It fulfills what's in your head and makes reality out of it. So that they take they want to study it correctly and understand what the best use of it is. So they take this lowly technician called George George Tarleton, and they mutate him. They they experiment on him, poor George, to turn him into a living computer, smarter than all of AIM put together, so it can analyse the Cosmic Cube. This is called Project MODOK, mental organism designed only for computing. I'm not going to point out the obvious. MODOK for a C. They mutate poor George, and and he grows this deformed body with a giant head, too big for his, his I mean his, his old body gets bigger but his head is just far too big for the rest of his, his frame his eyes go all weird they stick him in this flying hover chair hmm. um instead of a wheelchair it's a hover chair and they call it the doomsday chair because it's the <laughs> 1960s and stan and jack are just awesome i like um, that he goes you can have this chair it's not like a wheelchair no no in a constantly hardcore a, like a, a doomsday uh, chair doomsday chair it's a it's an extreme chair once george starts to use his super intelligence he he and 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 everything in his new body and frame he realizes he now has 
pretty cool psychic powers. He's got telepathy. He can control people. He can control groups of people. And he can fire mind blasts. Blasts of psychic energy which will mess you up. So, George murders every single person involved in the project to mutate him. And then he murders every single person in charge of AIM. And then he takes over AIM and renames himself Modoc with a K. Mental <laughs> organism designed only for killing! Oh, no. Um, and along with AIM, the new AIM that he's in charge of, he plagues Captain America and Hulk and, and Miss Marvel. Iron Man a little bit, but not a lot. Uh, mainly Cap and Hulk. In, in fact, one of the most memorable Iron Man Modoc uh, encounters occurs after he's dead. What? Aim Aim gets sick of this giant freak running the show um and and he's a tyrant even though they're criminals he's a tyrant. So they they hire these snake themed assassins called the Serpent Society to murder him and they succeed. Modoc dies, he's fully dead. And then Aim remote control his dead body into a <laughs> battle with Iron Man. And and then and blow it up, um, so Modok dies. And after he's dead, Aim replaces Modok with yes, that's right, you guessed it, the Bride of Modok, a female version no, of Modok no. called Modam, mental <laughs> organism designed for aggressive maneuvers. And this one is is distinctly female because it has like some eyeliner. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was that's, making that up. That's terrible. <laughs> it's just a giant what, what, head, but what, now it's got eyeliner. What's next? It's got uh, a pink bow as well, like Miss Pac-Man. Pursed lips, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um, around the time of this cartoon, um, they brought M- Modoc was brought back from the dead, and and they aim bringing him back to 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 help them create a new cosmic cube. Mm. So just as this series is kind of happening. Okay, okay, that's convenient. Because, like, I, I oh. just... I forgot. Um, uh, Modoc is getting his own Marvel series. No. I'm not... This is fully 100%. It's going to be an adult stop-motion animated series. Great. Stop-motion freaks by, me out. Written by and starring Patton Oswalt uh, in the lead role. <gasps> no way! With an amazing comedy cast. So, Ben Schwartz from Parks and Rec. Oh. Melissa... Uh, Melissa Vermeera from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, Wendy uh, M- uh, McClendon Covey from The Goldbergs. Ben, uh, Beck Bennett from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It sounds like it's going to be... So it's, it's going to be a comedy, right? Stop-motion comedy. I would have... Uh, yes, with that cast, of course, yeah. Well, with that MODOK, you can't take MODOK seriously. There is, you no. can't take MODOK seriously at all in any context. That pram or no see- pram. That has started to seep in to um, to the to the consciousness of people that write Modoc. They kind of, I don't want to say they gave up m- making him serious, mm. but they like to introduce lots of of tongue in cheek elements to him. So after he got kicked out of AIM, there was a series. I think it's Supervillain Team Up, and he put together his own crew. For a heist, and it was called Modox Eleven, and it was just fun. <laughs> it was just let's do Ocean's Eleven, but with Modok and supervillains, 
Um, oh, yeah, there's some there's some fun stuff. Okay, I'm really excited about the uh, prospect of a Modoc TV show of Pat and bloody Oswald people. He's brilliant. Right, back to the story. Later, at Mandarin's lair, Modoc informs him about the fate of the British frigate, knowing for certain that Iron Man will investigate. He summons Dread Knight, Backlash, Grey Gargoyle, Whirlwind and Blizzard and explains to them that he has a mission. However, before continuing, he almost kills Blizzard. Because when he fast cooled his drink, he also killed his Begonians, calling it unforgivable. He orders everyone to go to Prometheus, apart from Blizzard, who has to return to the garden to fertilise. I almost, when I was writing the notes for this episode, I almost went, no, I'm not putting that in, that's stupid. But it's like, no, no, I have to put this in. This detail of the story you have to put in, because it's ridiculous. He, I mean, yeah. he, he ought Mandarin... Big old Mandarin, big old M, almost killed a guy with ice powers for ruining his flowers. And not just any flowers, begonias. The go to flower for any punchline is begonias. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is a classic trope when you introduce the, the evil boss that yeah. they should really kill an underling for not doing the job quite properly. Um, but they do take it to. It, it's It's comedic and it's. It's also to make uh, Mandarin look like a bit of a sap as well. Yeah, um, and also, it's a cartoon. It's a cartoon. You're allowed these moments of comic lightness of course, that make yeah. no sense. But I just I just found it, it, it brought me back to days of cartoons like that, where you'd have He-Man, you'd have Transformers, and you'd have little moments like that, where the main guy swats an underling for something, you know, minor... Just to show them they're oh, a badass. You, you you get it in you get it in like the majority of of like full on action movies or TV shows that are introducing a bad guy, uh, the main bad guy. It's a trope, but it's I mean, done across the board. I mean, yeah, but in in such a comic, light hearted way as well. I mean, it's right. It, it, it's, yeah. it's more like in a cartoon. Uh, blizzard, Blizzard. Then, because we've already got Whirlwind, we need a Blizzard. Because no, because all seasons aren't represented. Uh, is Blizzard an Iron Man villain from the comics, Rob? We finally get a full Iron Man villain. I mean, uh, uh, Black Blacklash is Backlash is, but I don't think we see any more of Backlash in this in, in any of these episodes. Hmm. So I'm not going to talk about him. To do with the whip, and we talked about him during Iron Man Two, of course. So I think we just leave that one out. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, in the 1960s, Blizzard was a scientist that worked for Tony Stark and was obsessed with using cryogenics to never die. <laughs> um, Going to put myself he, in a tub of ice because I don't want to die. What what he wanted to do was like chill himself constantly, yeah. so he didn't age. Um, <laughs> So he, he he's obsessed with using cryogenics, and he got caught stealing from Tony Stark's private vault um, to to try and get money together to fund um, his his cryogenic experiments. And he he builds this cryogenic. Oh, so he gets he gets caught stealing, and then Tony Stark fires him, but doesn't call the police, which is a weird thing to do. Um, and he uses his cryogenic cold suit to give him ice powers and become Jack Frost. <laughs> Um, and he uses his Jack Frost powers to try and steal even more from Tony Stark. And then he goes to prison at the end of that adventure. And everyone thought, like everyone everyone at Marvel thought, 
That's a terrible name for a character. Let's just leave him in prison and never use him again. <laughs> and and literally for like a decade, <laughs> he's just a, a character that they never go back to. But then in the 70s, um, he gets out of prison. He returns to Iron Man comics with a completely redesigned costume. And a, he now he's called Blizzard. And this is another really cool costume design. Um uh, we t- he gets this it's simplicity in in its design and it's really cool um, along with along with the whirlwind I think there's a but two very nice unique little designs there in our okay so in our Iron Man two episode we talked about Justin Hammer the the evil businessman who attacks Tony Stark in secret. He comes after his company in the boardroom, mm. and then he hires villains to attack Stark Industries, like off the books, behind the scenes. Blizzard is one of Hammer's goons during the landmark Demon in a Bottle storyline that, that, we, that uh-huh. we discussed. Um, yeah, he briefly gains the ability to generate cold temperatures without his suit. He gains like superpowers, which is weird, and I don't think they ever explain how <laughs> it happened. Um, and he kind of changed the character. Like Iron Man villains really thrive when they are kind of different versions of Tony Stark. They are technicians, mm. inventors, engineers who have given themselves a certain ability with a bit of tech and things. And so it's a bit weird when they then have innate superpowers. Um, and then he died, and since then there's been like a billion different blizzards, and they they change the costume a number of times. And any time they do that, I think that sucks because it's a simple it's a simple cool costume. Yeah, it makes sense. And that's I, the blizzard. I, I kind of I, I I too am annoyed when they suddenly make no. Let's make things a bit supernatural, even though it's all about tech. It's like. Mm. Explain it first. Tell him he's injected himself with cybernetics or something. I don't mind. I don't mind supernatural characters in Iron Man. It's just a, I don't like changing a tech character to a supernatural character. Ah, okay, okay, that's even niche than what I was saying. Anyway, back to the story. At Stark Enterprises, Tony and Rhodes realize that the Prometheus vanished the same day Mandarin attacked the Armory, and that the two events must somehow be connected. Tony changes into his Iron Man armor before introducing a new creation, Irving, in-flight reflit vehicle with interactive <laughs> neuromatic gear. No, neuromimetic. Neuromatic. What? What? It's a drone. It's a drone. It's a drone yeah. with an elaborate name. Yeah. Rhodes also advises that Stark uses undersea armor. Iron Man launches and flies over to Scotland with the rest of the team, consisting of Rhodes, Spider-Woman, Scarlet Witch, Century and Hawkeye, monitoring his progress. Hawkeye, however, changes channel, revealing a new story about Justin Hammer's channel tunnel between England and Belgium, finishing construction at high noon. Ah, that hub of international commerce, Belgium. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, why did it go? Okay, okay, okay. So, so two things about this bit. So, first, first thing, did you notice this? And did you go, what? Why did it go three D for a sec when Stark puts on his suit and launched? Uh, mate, this was this was a huge part of the cartoon when it came out. This this was like, do, do you do you remember pre Beast War? You know, Transformers Beast Wars pre. Um, Megabyte when 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 CGI 
in cartoons would be introduced very sparingly and it was like a big deal everyone went ooh cgi like uh, the 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 spider-man um the spider-man cartoon series has cgi in its title yes, sequence yes it does it does and it's so out of step with all the other footage that they show um <laughs> but at least it's just in the title sequence they obviously spent a a a good chunk of change at the time for this CGI sequence and wanted to make sure... Like when a movie spends a lot of money on a pyrotechnic display to blow something up, Mm. we have to see that from a dozen different camera angles. You've got to get 360 coverage on it so we can get our money's worth. And and that's clearly what happened here. They, They played it... It's in every episode, and it's in the first series, and it is sometimes multiple times. It's, and the worst yeah. part of it is that it, if, let's say, Tony Stark is, um, I don't know, in the middle of the park, and he wants to turn mm. into Iron Man, he gets his briefcase out to turn into Iron Man, and they play the CGI footage of him back in the armory turning yes, into Iron Man. Yes, I knew they'd do it. I knew they'd do it. And then it cuts back to him in the park as Iron Man. It's so bad. That is incredible. So bad. Well, the thing is, I I remember at the time there was a CGI, a uh, complete CGI cartoon called Reboot. Do you remember that? That's what I meant when I said Megabyte. I meant Reboot. Megabyte. Yeah, Reboot. Reboot was entirely CGI. Megabyte that was, was fantastic. Villain. That was a fantastic uh, cartoon. But uh, I mean, and before all that, before Beast Transformers, Beast yeah, Wars, yeah. and 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 reboot, they they would they would they were obsessed with CGI. Like movies got the same way, oh, you yeah. know. They introduce it in, in in certain things for no reason, but it did suck. And all you'd have to do to solve some of that problem is to mm. not have had a background. Yes. If it had been a white a white background, or you'd had bright lights behind it or yeah, something, yeah, then it yeah. could have been like. That scene could have happened kind of anywhere, and the background could have been what about what am I mean? Just representative of wherever he is, just like a. It would. Uh, it would feel very Japanese though if they did that. So when He Man, when 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 Prince Adam turns into He Man, yeah. it's the same stock footage again and again. Yeah. Very Furthering bit. our theory that this is He Man. Very very good link there. It's all connected, isn't it? It's all connected. It's all connected. All connected. That's this uh, episode's catchphrase, apparently. Also, I liked uh, the Hammer Tunnel, because, of course, the Channel Tunnel opened the same year as the cartoon. Brilliant. Ed, so, yeah. very current. I like that. I wonder how many people died under... I mean, because loads of people died building the Channel Tunnel. It is brutal. Really? Um, wow. Oh, yeah. You can't build anything without people dying, unfortunately. Um, it, it's 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 horrible. But imagine what it would be like if Justin Hammer was in charge. <laughs> no... <laughs> No safety, no health, no concerns. Just, just poor, hardworking workers just dropping dead. Oh God, that was dark. Sorry, that was that, that, that was that was dark. So we'll go back to the cartoon. Yeah, if you want to, you can look it up. How many people died building the channel tunnel? Actually, I'm gonna, next time you talk, I am going to. She can look up how many people died, and then randomly you're going to hear me go fifty-seven or something like uh-huh. that. So back to the cartoon at the Scottish coast. Iron Man detects the missing submarine over 80 fathoms below sea level at his current position. He orders Irving to change him into the undersea armour before plunging into the ocean. 
Coming up to the wreckage, Stark detects unusually strong readings, realising that it's some form of new energy. Sneaking up on Stark, Grey Gargoyle stamps Irving into the dirt, disabling it. Suddenly, the rest of Mandarin's team attack and overpower Iron Man, all the while being monitored by Mandarin and MODOK. Back at base, the rest of the team suit up before Sentry teleports them to Stark's position underwater. I have never seen Tony Stark so helpless. How do you... Yeah, speak to that. Speak to that. Speak to that. It's just... He... Okay, I, I'm thinking of RDJ in the films. If this happened, yeah. he would have suddenly launched into action and fly around while shouting really loudly at Jarvis in his, in his head. You know what I yeah. mean? It, it would have been that this seems like, oh no, they have snuck up on me. Oh no, I am on the ground. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we've never seen MCU Iron Man have to fight like four or five superpowered beings at the same time. Mm. It's normally a movie is there's one superpowered villain and then in the Avengers you've got a whole team. It can be different, you know. It's it's a different it's a different level yeah. of of um, of opposition sometimes in the comic books and the cartoons and stuff. But again, it speaks to this thing that 1994 Iron Man is not this incredible. Uh, th- th- he's not a top tier character. He's, he's not, not. He's not. He's not a top tier. You know. Dude, um, and he's not the same Tony Stark that that um, that would come about. I mean, post Warren Ellis's um, extremist storyline, we we do get a superpowered Tony Stark who becomes like this god of technology. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, at the moment he's he's a he's a guy underwater. I know, uh... in a submariner suit. I know, and also uh, ten people died building the Channel Tunnel. Oh dear, man, awful, awful. I know it's it's awful, but at the moment I searched for it, so many other buildings came up, and that's that's the uh, Wikipedia hole I'll be going into after the podcast. <laughs> how many yeah, people died? By... There are there are estimates of like how many um, how many hardworking immigrant workers died per. Like mm. per mile of the American railway or the, or the British, the British railway across India and stuff like that is awful. Oh no, that's not sorry. But Marvel, <laughs> keep it. Let's keep it light. Keep it light. Keep know, it good. I, I think we've kind of forgotten we're doing an episode. Kind of, yeah, we're, no, we're just, just having just, a chat. Having a chat. That's what we do. We have, we're so we're so natural. Uh, uh, ask me a question. Will ask me a question. Okay, ask me a question. For God's track. sake, it better not be about architecture <laughs> and death. Uh, who is the great gargoyle, and what can he do? Uh, yes. Well, speaking of the Channel Tunnel, uh, meet uh, <laughs> Paul Duval, a French chemist um, who was experimenting with vague chemicals <laughs> and created like an unknown, like an unknown compound, like a combination made from an unknown amount of vague chemicals, and he spilled some onto his own hand, Ooh. and his hand then turned into living stone. So. He can move it, mm. yeah, but it's stone. Yeah. Um, Paul discovers that he has become like King Midas with his hand. Ah. Anything he touches turns to stone for an hour. <laughs> um, 
I like that because King Midas had some kind of like moral to the story or some kind of great thing about greed. And this is like, nah. oh, got a stone nah. hand. They can turn other things to stone for, for an bit. hour. <laughs> Not even the length of a movie. So if he touches <laughs> parts of his own body, he can turn them into the same living stone as his, mm. as his hand. And when they become living stone, he has like incredible strength and he can't be hurt because he's stone. Um, so, you know, he's, he's, he's greedy and, and, and he's mercenary by nature. So Paul becomes a thief and a criminal in, in, in Paris. Um, named the Grey Gargoyle by the by the press. Mm. And he quickly becomes bored of there being no challenges in Paris. So Paul goes to New York to pick a fight with Thor. <laughs> um, I, I had these 60s comics as a child. I got to grow up reading the 60s stuff from my dad. Mm. And I found the Grey Gargoyle a real threat. Because all he has to do is touch you, not beat you, just touch you, and you become stone, and then he can shatter you. Oh! <laughs> and those early stories left an indelible mark on my mind. Because his first battle with Thor, he turns into stone straight away, um, and and pushes him over to, and then and then off he flies. To go off, he runs to go do something else, thinking pushing him over will will shatter him. Um, actually, as Thor's hammer hits the ground first, mm. this is if to go back to the Thor episode to work out the, the the magic of the hammer and the secret identity of Doctor Donald Blake. The ha- the stone hammer hits the floor first, and when Thor touches his hammer to the ground, it transforms him back into Donald Blake. Ah, so instead of Instead of instead of hitting the ground and shattering, yeah. the, the the hammer hits the ground first, the lightning strikes, he turns back into Dr. Donald Blake and he's not made of stone, so everything's okay. But he came close. That's um, very, very lucky. Uh... <laughs> so um he 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 fights Captain America once. And he accidentally is shot into space. <laughs> uh, and then he's rescued by AIM, because he's in orbit around the Earth, and AIM rescue him. And they say... So when, he, when he's fighting, he's fighting Captain America and the Falcon, and there's a rocket ship involved, and the, he's trying to, like... He's going to throw the Falcon in the rocket ship, and the Falcon's going to go to space, and he'll die up there. But he accidentally is alone in the rocket ship, and when he goes to open the door to let himself out, he uses the wrong hand, and he turns no. the door to stone, <laughs> and then he gets fired into space. Anyway, aim come and rescue the Grey Gargoyle, and they're like, we'll rescue you, but you work for us now, we need to go and kill Spider-Man. So he goes to fight mm-hmm. Spider-Man, and immediately on his next mission against Spider-Man, he's shot into space again. Back to back accidental shot into space. Um, He's mainly a Thor villain. He joins the Masters of Evil and does some real damage to the Avengers. There is one brilliant Iron Man story where it's yeah, it's better if you don't know. But here you go. He creates a brand new identity for himself. A French artist and sculptor 
taking the Manhattan art scene by storm, selling these incredibly realistic statues. Oh, no. Which are actually people. Yes, of course. He's been turning people permanently to stone and selling them and making a lot of money. Great story. But do they turn back after an hour? No, he's found a way to turn them to stone permanently. That's horrible. Um, it's sick, isn't it? It's gross. It's it's horrible. Was was it was it a uh, House of Wax that horror film? Was that the one I'm thinking of? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's, it's got a vibe of that. Okay, back to the story. After splitting up in several directions, the team finds Iron Man, but not before Mandarin summons his alien dragon, Fin Fang Foom. Iron Man is blasted by the dragon's flames, causing him to fall down a deep abyss, with Fin Fang Foom standing down. War Machine detects the attack on his echo scanner. He finds that the attack sent feedback into Tony's brain, and that if they don't find... What? What? <laughs> I... I, I, you know, you know, you know, you know, when you're reading your own notes, you go, "Did I write that? Did I write that?" And I'm trying to remember the episode. No, now. it definitely happened. Definitely happened. Yeah, yeah. fire uh, causes brain feedback. It's like this isn't. No, we Snow, all know that this isn't Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. Uh, he finds the attack sent feedback into his brain, and if they don't find him, his mind will be destroyed. War Machine swims through the water until he eventually spots Iron Man on a rock unconscious and takes him back to the infirmary. Okay, I'm going to ask it. I take the bait. Why didn't Mandarin just use an alien dragon instead of sending an entire team in? Why not? Why didn't he? Why didn't he do this a year ago? Why, in fact, why didn't he just do that instead of whatever plan he has? Just bring out the dragon. Just bring in the alien dragon that can kill Tony Stark. It's like he's like, well, I've got, I've got. Who do I have on my team? I've got a guy who can spin really fast, a guy who can freeze things, and a, a guy who can turn his hand, uh, and an alien dragon. Maybe I should the giant alien dragon, dragon or the spinny man. Oh god, I'm, I'm sorry. It's going to have to be Mister Mister Blow again. Okay. Fin Fang Foom, very weird, uh, very... Uh, it's one of those names you come out with and go, is that okay to say? <laughs> uh, Stan based it on the, the cadence of the title of a uh, a Chinese play or a play... Not, it might, probably isn't a Chinese play because it was over in America. Like a play about... A play about Chinese people, or a play, mm. or an opera about Chinese people, something like that. Um, yeah, that's that's what I heard anyway. Yeah, it has that kind of uh, sort of. Uh, it sounds like it. Uh, okay, Sphinx Fang Foom. Some, is this something we should know about from the comics? Is this important because this never turned up in Iron Man three? Never turned <laughs> up in Iron Man three. I I don't know if we'd say it's important, but mm. um, like it, it. So back before the Marvel Age. In the 1950s. In fact, no, it wasn't. It was the early 60s, just before Fantastic Four. Mm. Stanley and, and, and Jack Kirby are making monster comics. One of the big things that sold uh, pre-superheroes were monster comics. And there's this story of Finn Fang Foom, a sleeping dragon Ooh. in the mountains of China. And as... This is, this is why it fits so well with Iron Man, <laughs> Iron Man's 60s propaganda stuff... As the communist army is raising through the villages, fighting and taking over, <laughs> a young child from the local village 
has heard the stories of a sleeping dragon up in the mountain. So he goes up, wakes the dragon up, and taunts the dragon. And is like, come, chase me, chase me, and try to kill me with your flame breath. And leads Fin Fang Foom into the path of the communist army. And Foom rampages through the army, destroys and kills all the communists, and then goes back to sleep again. Once the Marvel Age started, this was like a one-off, it wasn't, you know, as we talk about so often, before... Before the Marvel Age, that they just had a lot of these one-off sci-fi stories, monster stories. They didn't go anywhere or mean anything. They weren't going to be repeated. Mm. Um, that was quite de rigueur for Marvel at the time. You'd have like Groot. Groot, mm. as we talked about in the Guardians of the Galaxy, Groot was a giant tree alien monster. Yes. In one one issue, one adventure, that was it. Never to be returned to again. Uh, well, Fin Fang Foom was kind of the same deal. But some writers looked for ways to fold Foom back into the Marvel Universe. And when they, they created an updated origin for the Mandarin, mm. they reveal, as we know, he gets his his ten power rings come from <laughs> the, the crashed spaceship of an alien dragon. Yes. So the alien dragon... Is Fin Fang Foom? It's his spaceship that the Mandarin gets his power rings from um, when he cra- after he crash landed. Um, Foom at some point teams up with the Mandarin and helps him conquer huge parts of China. But then uh, it turns out he's also uh, planning to destroy, take over the world, which forces Mandarin uh. to team up with Iron Man to stop him. It, it's really cool to see him appear because he became like a running. A behind the scenes kind of gag joke you'd mention Fin Fang Foom in a comic book here and there and you know it was just it was just a behind the scenes joke that a lot of fans knew about mm. and occasionally they'd find a way to sneak him into some some book or dream sequence or nightmare or it was like he was he was an easter egg character for for decades so it was cool to see him get this appearance and even cooler because they made a Fin Fang Foom toy, baby. Oh, of course they did. Was yep. it big? Yep. Oh, great. <laughs> okay, so back to the story. At the infirmary, an injured Tony wakes up and explains that he's got something to figure out. Mandarin only brings Fin Fang Foom on very important missions and wonders... <laughs> Why? Why? It's just... I would use it for all missions. And wonders why the dragon would be summoned only to be called off shortly after. Tony realises that this has something all to do with time. He sits down at the computer and searches through old newspaper articles for the date, March 11th. Suddenly, a panel opens and Irving enters. It shakes off the mud covering it and flies over to the computer, bringing up an article from the LA Times. Tony suits up, telling Rhodes there's not a minute to spare. Tony is less wisecracking uh, in this than compared to the films. Like, I, for me, Iron Man isn't Iron Man un- unless he, he's ribbing someone. You know what I mean? He, like, joshing them a bit. Really and that's, a, that's, a, that's a total invention. That's a total RDJ move in the movies. That's not really? Iron Man. Nope, not at all. And he, he, he now is written a little, a little bit like that with mm. that cocky, arrogant... 
vastness of him in in terms of the in terms of the making a few jokes and stuff. But that did not exist until Robert Downey Jr. Incredible, because I because like it, it has influenced. Obviously, I've been playing the Lego games, and the Lego games they are basically doing Robert Downey Jr. style. Yeah, and yeah. then then there was the Simpsons doing a, a takeoff of Infinity Wars, and the Iron Man character is doing the same thing, the same copy. Yeah. I, I okay, I did not know that. I did not know that was a Robert Downey Jr. thing. So he's is he quite po face, quite stoic, not stoic, quite quite down to earth, more. He's not down to earth. It depends entirely on on the era and who's writing him. Okay. Like Iron Man of the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, very different. Iron Man of the 2000s up to 2008 is different. It it just entirely depends. He's not like... I mean, you you would be able to say Spider-Man's a light-hearted, wise-cracking character. But then there's the period of time in the 90s when they try and make... Spider-Man into Batman and Spawn and they give him this <laughs> tragic I mean he's got a tragic backstory but they make him this oh, this grim and gritty character who you know awful terrible terrible choices that's the thing you learn when when you've got these characters that are 50 60 70 years old there's different errors and different writers and different traits are kind of introduced mm, okay we're we're only just in 94 getting the Tony Stark that believes himself to be the moral authority, which didn't exist before, and would from 94 onwards. So, yeah. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So, back to the story. In London, Big Ben strikes noon, and Justin Hammer is about to cut the ribbon, opening the Channel Tunnel. Just no, the Hammer Tunnel. The, the hammer, tu- hammer Tunnel. The Hammer it's Tunnel. It's going to Belgium. It's going to... Ha- not the Hammer Tunnel going to... I forget where the Channel Tunnel goes. Uh, Paris. Uh, Justin, however, secretly pushes a button on his wrist device, sending a signal to the Mandarin that the plan is ready to go. Mandarin wakes up the zombified crew of the Prometheus and orders them to invade England through the Channel Tunnel. The Hammer Tunnel. Hammer Tunnel. Sorry, but that's just like, invade England through the Channel Tunnel is like some kind of very patriotic nightmare. Oh, this is this is uh, Nigel Farage watched this, and he's like, and "This is what began <laughs> the the UKIP party. This is what began Brexit. <laughs> this is his wet dream. This <laughs> he shows this at party conferences. This is what they want. Zombies coming from Belgium." Iron Man and his team arrive at the English side of the tunnel and attempt to seal it to stop the zombies coming through. Iron Man goes underwater and destroys the tunnel, ruining Mandarin's plans. However, Modok just to stop, just to stop there. What are the Mandarin's plans again? To invade England with a zombified crew. What's that got to do with Tony's armory? I don't know anymore. Why? He steals a microchip from Tony Stark to combine it with a thing he planted on a submarine that made mummies, uh, zombies, green zombies, and waits a year until a, a channel tunnel is created to get them into England to activate them. But it is definitely all to get at the armory because they've said that multiple times. I'm hoping that they use this as a distraction to do it but there is no sign of them attempting to reach the armory while this is happening you have an alien dragon (laughs) you could attack big ben all bets are off with the alien dragon you could send all your men to attack the prime minister if you wanted to that would probably draw out 
Tony and Force Works, wouldn't it? Depending on the relation, the special relationship. Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay, carry on. Carry on. We're not satisfied by the children's cartoon. <laughs> this Mandarin is pure Skeletor. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Is. <laughs> He's an idiot. However, Modok summons Titanium Man from a satellite orbiting Earth. Where I, he lives. Where he yeah, lives. Where he lives. There, the Titanium like the Garage. Like the worst Thunderbird. You live up there. We all live together in a house. We you live- orbit the Earth in isolation with no one to hug. Daddy You're the loves worst us. Tracy brother. We don't like you. Sorry, you've just... No, I will not go down a Thunderbird's tangent, but that's opened up so much in my head now. Why does he live on a space station alone? He'd go mad. Oh, he's not a real Thunderbird. He's. It's not... It's it, like... So, here we go. They just tell him he's part of the team. He's not. They they just hate him. <laughs> he, they hate him. He's a child from like another marriage or something. They just don't. They just send him up there. That's where he lives. Oh God, Mungo Tracy. That's what he's called. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. So anyway, Modok summons Titanium Man from a satellite orbiting Earth. Iron Man and War Machine easily beat Titanium Man, wrapping him in concrete and launching him into space. Before they leave... <laughs> I like the idea that Mandarin thought that was the... That the here he comes, my secret big weapon. Oh, he's been beaten already, has he? He's been immediately taken out. <laughs> they've yeah, because they... Okay, yeah. They've yeah. turned him into a skyscraper cross of the burrito. Great. <laughs> it's like the Mandarin had just realised, oh, I've only got... I can only call Fing Fang Foom once... Oh, I've already used it. Oh, my if, whole plan if this was, on this. If this was a video game and you had to wait for a cooldown period for secret powers, <laughs> this would totally make sense, but it doesn't. It's terrible. Uh, before they leave, Sentry returns the zombified crew to their human form. Meanwhile, the Mandarin promises revenge. By revenge, <laughs> he means revenge. Ply it out over the course of a year. That doesn't make sense. Man. I will say too much happened at the last bit. Too much happened because I thought like... When they summoned Titanium Man, I thought it was like the final boss of a Final Fantasy game. And it's like, summon Titanium Man from the space! And I'm like, why? <laughs> why? why? You got enough going on here. Immediately beaten. <laughs> okay, he, 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 he didn't have much screen time. He didn't have many memorable lines. He was turned into a burrito at the end. What can you tell us about Titanium Man? Um, do you remember when we talked about Iron Man 2 we discussed the Crimson Dynamo who's like this this kind of uh, communist uh, Soviet Iron Man who builds yes. his own suit of armour and, and has this, this, this clash with Iron Man yes um, yes. Titanium Man is kind of like a knockoff of the Crimson Dynamo so I never he's not, he's not actually a character from the comics he's just a knockoff no, no, he's a comic from the character. Oh. Sorry, he is a comic book character. Oh, yeah. gotcha, sorry. Yeah. I, I, I never understood why there were two Soviet Iron Man characters <laughs> who both worked for the KGB and both had exactly the same mission. And yeah, Boris Bulsky, uh, he tried to. He was been in like a, a Communist Party member for life. <laughs> the Black Widow taught him how to fight. Um,. She was his instructor, and then he lost favor and was sent to a gulag. Oh yes! And then when he's in the gulag, he he makes a lot of friends with dangerous people who can build stuff, and he tries to curry favor with the communist party by creating 
getting these people that he meets in the gulag to create an a, like a, a suit of armor based on the Crimson Dynamo's armor. And he asks the, the Communist Party for permission to challenge Iron Man to like a pay per view fight. It's like a Floyd Mayweather deal. He's like, I want to beat and embarrass the American in front of a worldwide audience. What is this Rocky Four? Yeah, and and so he he puts the uh, he puts the that's the second Rocky reference of the episode. And just in case you are wondering, it's because Will has just finished watching all the Rocky movies, every single <laughs> one for the first time. Yeah. So it's just it's what you have to understand is whatever Will is watching <laughs> is going to come up in the episode. Um, so yeah, uh, so he challenges Iron Man on television in front of everyone. He loses. <laughs> he every time he gets beat by Iron Man, he goes away and tries to increase his size and his powers and come back and get beat again. And he, he's just, you know, he was part of a, a group of communist super agents sent to kill Tony Stark. Uh, the, the second Crimson Dynamo and Radioactive Man, the Unicorn. This is when Iron Man was a full-on anti-communism yeah. propaganda comic, which it was for uh, until the Vietnam War started. The anti-Vietnam War movement started to gain traction. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be mentioning right. more of that later on in something very interesting as well. By the way, but. It that is brings t- us to the end of the first episode. Been the end of the first episode. It was memorable in some places, uh, mainly Modoc in a pram, uh, which we are <laughs> never getting over. We are never getting over. But anyway, it brings us to episode two. Rejoice! I am Ultimo, thy deliverer. What what a name for an episode. So, a ship captained by Modoc, Justin Hammer, and the Mandarin docks into a futuristic dry dock in the side of a cliff. Modoc starts scanning their cargo, bringing up the image of the contents on screen. It is a massive humanoid figure wrapped in clothes that stretches across the entire length of the ship. It's not wrapped in clothes. Cl- I think I think it's cloth. Cloth. I actually put an S in that. Cloths. 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 Cloths Sorry. Yeah. 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 Same bandages and stuff. Bandages. The Mandarin is very excited about this humongous bandaged figure and claims that its origin and purpose has been lost in the dust of civilizations long dead. But he found this alien artifact sealed inside an extinct volcano in Latin America. Hammer repeats he is worried that they do not know what it will do when it is activated. Mandarin grows angry, saying he bought it there to serve them before waking the giant with a beam from one of his ten rings. After the dust settles, the bandages are in tatters, revealing a large robot. Mandarin fires another blastman's rings, saying that he shall make it live. The blast hits the robot, but it still it remains unresponsive. Modok is amazed that the power of the rings are not affecting it. Two service robots approach the giant, but it melts them from beams fired from its face. The robot hmm. calls itself Ultimo, telling them to rejoice, for it is their deliverer, before blasting a hole in the wall of the base and escaping. Mandarin orders Modok to get to the Sky Saucer, as he does not want to lose it. The Sky Saucer. Not the Flying Saucer, the Sky no, Saucer. The not sky the, saucer. Not the Land Saucer, that would be weird. Okay, um, I think... It's worth having a chat about a very um, interesting thing. Uh, we could we talk about why the Mandarin in this cartoon is green? Because uh, in the comics, he's not green, is he? No, no, no. To begin with, he is portrayed 
in a, a deeply racially <laughs> insensitive and grotesque way as um, Asian villains were at the time we've covered this before in the iron man episode if i remember and yeah three a bit yeah and and you know marvel in the 50s have this kind of i mean i mean it's it's all it's all based around the very very popular asian character of fu manchu Mm. um a grotesque portrayal of uh of an asian person an Asian villain, mm. and Marvel had their own version, which was called, and this is awful, Yellow Claw. Um, and then, yeah, they they came with another one, which was the Mandarin. And mm. you know, they all look pretty much exactly exactly the same. Don't forget how how close the fifties and the sixties are to internment camps in America yeah. for 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 people. Uh, who who were Asian or even of Asian descent? Um, it's a very odd and peculiar world. Yeah, but his depiction in comic books in in recent years has thankfully been what I would deem as normal. He's just <laughs> a normal Asian man in a suit. Sometimes he wears a mask. Sometimes you know he wears a power suit or whatever. But generally. Asian man in a suit. He's got rings. Kills people. But what they did for the cartoon, what they didn't make him a normal Asian man. They they did something weird and made him green. Now I noticed in the nineties that they did a similar thing with Ming the Merciless in the nineties Flash Gordon cartoon. And I did some research because I'm one of those people. Uh, now this is the thing. Ming the Merciless had often been connected uh, to. Now this is the actual genre of it. It's called Yellow Peril imagery. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. In which ty- uh, tyrannous East Asian villains such as Fu Manchu were common. His East Asian his uh, East Asian parents. His name referencing the Ming Dynasty of China and the name of his planet Mongo, a uh, contraction of Mongol, contributed to his Oriental identity. Uh, jo- Jonathan, uh, it was said that uh, Ming and Fu Manchu were the incarnations of the Yellow Peril in the Oriental Crusade to conquer the world. Uh, and he was also called a futuristic yellow peril, etc. Basically, is is basically their version of Fu Manchu. He's he's space Fu Manchu. He's space Fu Manchu. But with the Mandarin, uh, apparently, uh, continued po- exposure to the alien rings made his hands green and scaly. Was an excuse given. I found somewhere. Well, when we when we get to the in the cartoon. I, I I read. I don't know if it's in the comic. I I I don't know if it was just the cartoon or the comic because you know how many iterations there must be for the comic. But I think in, cartoon... in the car- in in the cartoon, mm. the Mandarin is not Asian. When we see his origin episode, Ooh. he is a white a white Western man <laughs> who gets the rings, and then the rings turn him into a green alien. Oh dear! That's the explanation there. There's no exp- the explanation in defend. You're talking about Flash Gordon, Defenders of the Earth cartoon, hmm. um, and the explanation there is that he's green because he's an alien. So they're trying very hard. They're trying to 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 not create this this awful depiction, um, but he's still called Ming, and it's still the planet Mongol and stuff like that. But yeah, it's 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 weird to see. I mean, I certainly prefer it to a, a, a grotesque yellow yellow peril character. Yeah, it, it, it's just it's just it's just very problematic, is the word. So anyway, moving away from that, somewhat something that isn't racially offensive. Ultimo, 
Well, I, you say that. You say that. <laughs> uh, is Ultimo something from Iron Man comics, a giant robot? Because I can imagine this being being a. Cause it sounds like Ultron. It's a big robot. Come on, it must be from the comics. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a huge destructive robot that first <laughs> appears in the, in the 1960s as the Mandarin's greatest creation. But then in later stories, it's revealed to not be the Mandarin's greatest creation. It's, <laughs> okay. it's, an, an, it's an alien WMD that's crash-landed on Earth. Um, mm. It's said that Ultron, uh, Ultron, Ultimo, is capable of committing global genocide of an entire race, Raising a planet to the ground, destroy it's used to destroy worlds. Ooh. But it accidentally crash lands in China thousands of years ago and ends up being buried underground or something. The Mandarin finds it and is able to alter its programming to obey him. Iron Man thought he defeated him in the 60s by trapping Ultimo underneath the Earth's crust Ooh. and forcing it to be dormant again. But Ultimo was absolutely fine, having a lovely time down there. Just lovely time. Swimming, swimming to the Earth's core and absorbing all the energy and power from all that magma. So the next time he resurfaces, he is frighteningly powerful. Um, and at the time, Tony is in a coma, so there's no Iron Man. Uh, Rhodey puts together a team of Tony Stark's supporting cast... Like Happy Hogan, mm. Bethany Cable, and and um, and some others, and and Rhodey himself. Rhodey wears the War Machine armor, and everyone else on the supporting team wears a different old Iron Man outfit, Iron Man armor. So you have a team of Iron Men. They're called the Iron Legion. Mm, there we are. And they they do their best to stop Ultimo together, but he proves to be. Unstoppable. It's not until I'm uh, Tony emerges from the coma and dons his new experimental armor, the module modular armor, which he wears in this cartoon series. Until he's until that's, that's what finally defeats Ultimo. The modular armor is the base that allows him to then put on the scuba armor, the, sorry, the deep sea armor, the the space armor, the stealth armor, all that. He wears the modular armor and then Irving gives him whatever extras he needs doesn't he well that was what was created uh around the time of ultimo's second memorable appearance right okay do you think he'll pop up in mcu no <laughs> well i mean there's it, no call for uh, it any, no... anything anything could but i it doesn't it, it doesn't have a personality so yeah. I, I think the MCU gravitates towards things that have a personality. Like Stiltman. The, the saga of Stiltman will be the greatest, you know, the greatest thing. Um, I, I think there's an awful lot of when you're when you're knocking out a new adventure every month, mm. sometimes multiple times a month because the character is in Avengers and yeah. it's in Iron Man and it's in this, that and the other. You have to have, you know, villains that don't necessarily have much personality and robots are kind of good for that. I don't think it's terribly interesting or arresting, I have to say. It's, you know, it's whatever it is. Yeah, it's like Condiment King in Batman. Um, Okay, back to the story. At a nearby dock, Ultimo emerges from the sea and crushes the dock before striding off into the mainland. Meanwhile, in Italy, small ships sit in the bay along with a yacht called the Iron Maiden, Tony Stark's personal vessel. 
There's a party going on board with Tony schmoozing with the many guests. James Rhodes walks up and excuses himself, then whispers in Tony's ear. Tony excuses himself from the guests and follows Rose to a secret computer room. Rhodey explains that the satellite security flagged a news transmission from Baja, California. On the monitor, there's a camcorder footage taken by an elderly couple showing Ultimo stomping through the desert. Scanning this footage, Tony reveals that a cloud following the robot is the Mandarin Sky Saucer in disguise. Without a moment to lose, Tony opens a briefcase which unfolds his Iron Man armor stored inside. He suits up and tells Rhodey to tend to the guest while he flies to Baja. So, Tony's yacht is called... Actually, before we go to Tony's yacht, I will say, bring this up again, about the overuse of the 3D sequence. (laughs) It was just at this point I was just like... But anyway, the yacht is called the Iron Maiden. People know that he's Iron Man in this cartoon, don't they? They they know he's Iron Man. I don't think so. Then that's reckless. Uh, so, so reckless. And no one's going to get the reference. I could tell you that if this was in the, the, the comic book world, it wouldn't be reckless. Okay. I They haven't given us enough backstory here, but here's how it works in the comics. Okay. Tony Stark's identity is a secret until the year 2002. He, mm. It's only in 2002 that he publicly admits that he is Iron Man, right? Mm. But from the right from the get-go in the 1960s, Tony Stark explains his connection to Iron Man by saying that, that Iron Man is an employee of Stark Industries. <laughs> he is Tony Stark's personal bodyguard, and he protects Stark Industries from communist saboteurs and mm. terrorists and stuff. And that lasts for decades, that Iron Man is connected to Tony Stark, and he is connected to Stark Industries. There's no suggestion that it's that it's the playboy millionaire drunkard. So, naming your yacht after the Iron Maiden, because you built the Iron Man suit of armour, because you're a genius and you found someone to pilot it for you, that would not be giving anything away. Um, so I could see it working in the comic books. In this cartoon, it's very hard to tell what's going on with the... I don't imagine <laughs> they would have come up with something as cool as Iron Man's identity being public. You know, I don't. I just don't think they have that imagination. Yeah, I, 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 I get it. I get it. I, I just, I just thought for a sec, this is, this is an in joke or something, and I just thought it was like, it just, it just set off some alarm bells. Well, yeah. Well, there we go. I've, I've had that explained. It, meanwhile, in Baja, California, Ultimo storms through a small village with Modoc and the Mandarin watching his trail of destruction. Their saucer gets closer, and the Mandarin uses a large belt-like device that takes control of Ultimo. Modok wonders where Ultimo was walking to. Mandarin claims it was put there by an alien race for some purpose. Suddenly, Iron Man flies in, and Ultimo is ordered to attack. Ultimo immediately grabs Iron Man, but Tony is able to free himself before Ultimo punches him into some rocks, knocking him out. Before Ultimo can wander away, the Mandarin uses his powers to stop him. Uh, big question. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there. Why hasn't the military been called in yet? <laughs> this is this is insane, insane. I'm watching this going. Where's the military? Where's the military? Where's the military? You could easily have had tanks and yeah. stuff shooting at it and being swatted away. 
Yeah, standard trope. Absolutely standard trope. Wouldn't be out of place. But, well, there's a bit later that we'll look at. And, and I'm just there going, seriously? Uh, but yeah, I was really, really confused by that. So back to the story. Back at base, Rhodey is looking at computer console, explaining to the rest of the team that they lost Iron Man 20 minutes ago after watching a news report where a giant robot caused a soldier to desert. They figure that ultimately must be must be what happened to Iron Man. Just then, an encoded transmission comes through to the monitor from an intelligence satellite. Ultimo is heading towards a Stark Enterprise's secret experimental test range where there is enough vibranium ammo to jump. To, sorry, dump. Uh, the, sorry, there is enough at the vibranium ammo dump to blow a hole through the planet. They quickly dispatch. Okay. With that soldier deserting, surely in the universe, with all this crazy stuff that's happened and the existence of Iron Man, a news reporter would be a bit more serious when hearing about a giant robot. The news reporter hears about it and it's treated as like, oh, whatever next? What are they going to say next? It's like, come on. I, I really hate that in, in, in these things where the, whoever's writing it forgets the world that, they, that, that they've built that they're writing in. Um, like, they'll be, they'll be... It'll happen sometimes in comic books where they go, you don't believe in aliens, do you? He goes... Are you joking? There's one on the Justice League. What are you talking about? <laughs> Superman is an alien. Or or be like, oh, you're not afraid of ghosts, are you? Ghosts definitely... Like, the world's been invaded by hell seven times. Ha- of course ghosts are real. Like, get t- it together. It, that really annoys me. That really That's lazy writing and using tropes like, whoa, no one's going to believe them until it's too late. It's that kind of trope, and it's really... Yeah. It's a lazy, lazy trope. Uh, so, Rhodey. He really is Tony's sidekick uh, or assistant in this cartoon. I mean, was he like that in Forceworks, the team they were in? Rhodey's not a part of Forceworks. Oh, what's he doing? Um, this period of time, there's no friendship between them. They are, they are, they are not. The the the, the bromance is dead. T- Tony had faked his own death mm. and left Rhodey to pick up the pieces. Oh. Literally, T- uh, Rhodey had to run Stark Industries. He had to take over as Iron Man. Mm. So when it turned out that Tony had faked his death and not told him. Rhodey was absolutely pissed, and he he didn't forgive Tony. He quit Stark Industries. He quit as Iron Man. He quit the Avengers, and this is the time period where Rhodey um, strikes out on his own and becomes War Machine, and Ooh, okay. starts to get involved in a few more military skirmishes and military operations that Tony doesn't approve of, and things like that. So Rhodey had left. Tony's side and and wasn't a part of it wasn't Iron Man wasn't a part of the West Coast Avengers or anything wasn't associated with him when 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 Forceworks was put together. Okay, fair enough. I I can't I I kind of like him. I like I like War Machine. He, he seems like yeah. He, he he's 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 more down to earth Iron Man, isn't he? Yeah, I I think and I, with the military he, discipline, you like I like the military discipline instilled with him. In the, in this cartoon, he he is very much an assistant, which is yeah. a bit weird. But mm. yeah, they all are really. Yeah, they they all are. So in his palace, Mandarin claims that once Stark's robots are in his possession, he will give them to Justin Hammer to sell to the highest bidder, but with secret microchips implanted, allowing him to take control if the need ever arises. In the room, Iron Man is floating in an energy field. 
The Mandarin explains that the cyber rack will pull and twist the armor apart at the joints, popping out whoever is inside. However, the armor is much stronger than they thought, and the Mandarin fires his rings at Iron Man to speed up the process. I like this cyber rack. I thought that was really cool. I I don't know because I was this, okay. This is me. I'm just sitting there going, "How does that work, though?" It or, it's a rack. It's a cyber rack. It, it it's an energy. It's, no, 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 no. Okay. I, I I'm finding problems that you can't see, and it's of course okay. <laughs> anyway, does the Mandarin ever actually find out Iron Man's identity? Um, he's dead by. By the time Iron Man announces his identity to the world. Oh so I don't think he finds it out until he comes back from the dead, whenever that is. So basically, no, he never he never he never like unearths it or, or discovers it himself. You think um, you think he, you think he would. Oh you know, he's obviously trying here, but you think he would have done it by now. Well, you could say that about anything, couldn't you? You yeah, think she- Lex Luthor would have found out Superman's identity by oh, now. Yeah, I You think Charlie Brown would have kicked the football by now. Well, that's the end of the whole thing then, isn't it? I I I Okay, I've just torn apart, you know, <laughs> the the foundation of most uh, superheroes. Um also, no what what no what was I going to say? No, it's absolutely gone from mind. We'll go back to the story. Okay, okay, cool. Okay, okay, you do that, Will. Uh, At the secret experimental test range, Ultimo stamps on a bunker, crushing it. Suddenly, War Machine and the rest of the team attack the giant robot. Sadly, their efforts do nothing against the powerful being. In the Mandarin's lair, Modok, commanding Ultimo, tells him to sweep them out of the sky. Following orders, Ultimo smashes War Machine into the remaining bunkers. Noticing the device around Ultimo's neck... War Machine fires at it, releasing Ultimo from Modok's control, causing an energy feedback to fling Modok across the room. Without anyone controlling him, Ultimo wanders away on an unknown mission. Uh, and this is the part where I, uh, I, 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 feel, I don't want to feel like I'm ruining anything in terms of character lore, but does Hawkeye ever get a flying motorcycle in the comic books? <laughs> Why do you ask that? Because it's it's here, and I feel it's so arbitrary, and I want to make sure that it didn't exist in the comic books and was totally there to be sold as a toy. Uh, it absolutely, definitely happened in the comic books. No, it's really, it's really, why? Yeah, yeah. No. Um, it, 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 the very first issue of his own comic book series, Hawkeye has his engineer friend build him the Sky Cycle, <laughs> which is a flying snowmobile. Uh, basically, so he can so he can get around and do stuff. And when he launched the West Coast Avengers, he started using it extensively because um, he's the leader of the team and he needs to be able to kind of fly. Mm. And he has some more made for the other members of the team who couldn't fly. And eventually, the East Coast Avengers team adopt them as well. And during the eighties, you would frequently see Captain America using a sky cycle to get around. So yeah, started with Hawkeye and then became a a, a a thing that most of that every Avengers team had access to. Okay, I like that they had it as an Avengers thing, but it just like that's that's his special power, access to a flying motorcycle. If they all had no. them if they all had a flying motorcycle each, I'd be happy. But why? What's the reasoning of that slice of madness in your brain? Because it looks like standard equipment, standard issue equipment for a team. But he gets a flying motorcycle. Okay, the rest can fly anyway, I guess. But I mean, it just on that on that team. Not I mean, uh, 
Well, on that team, you don't really need to because you've got Century, don't you, who just teleports everyone everywhere. <laughs> I'll be talking about Century later. I have so much to ask about Century. Um, but anyway, I'm going to get back to the story and I'll be asking about Century in a bit. At the lair, Iron Man struggles through the pain to fight the energy field of the Cyber Rack. Mandarin orders Modok to find Ultima at once, who then asks about Iron Man. Mandarin destroys the console for the device before they leave, claiming that whoever or whatever was inside has expired by now. They destroy most of the room on their way out. Later, Iron Man struggles to remove the debris off him. Green energy suddenly fills the room. Iron Man looks up and asks Sentry how he found him. He steps forward, saying it was through the Infinity Matrix, before explaining that it weakened him, but he knew Iron Man was in great pain. He touches Iron Man's fault. He touches Iron Man's uh, forehead, cause uh, forehead, forehead. Sorry, I've written it wrong. Causing the uh, armor, armored hero to glow, healing Iron Man, but at a cost for Century. With renewed strength, Iron Man lifts off the debris and flies out with Century's body in suspended animation. Oh God, we I, I, we got to have a talk about Century. So I am led to believe that Century is more powerful than the rest of the team. Um, I I suppose I suppose it, it depends on what sort of of this team. Let's have a think. Um, Hawkeye, yes. Scarlet Witch, mm. no, probably not. Probably not. Maybe, mm. maybe. Iron Man, yes. Rhodes, yes. Why do you think he's more powerful than Iron Man and War Machine? Because he's supernatural. Why is that more powerful? Because it, it it's not uh, bound to the laws of science doesn't have no limitations though does it like he just uses power and it was so distressing he fell into suspended animation yeah but he could uh you know do a big <laughs> you big explosion yeah yeah with... okay what well, so what oh, I'm, I'm it seems like your argument is paper thin here but let's <laughs> it's late i'm tired <laughs> gonna use that excuse from now on so let's talk about century then i mean is he a character created for the cartoon you don't like him, do you? Uh, he, he's, no, 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 no. This is the thing. It's not that I don't like him. It's that he's not explained. How the hell do we have a guy no, who creates no. teleports? And it's like, oh, yeah, don't worry. We'll just fly there all the time. And then centuries like... It feels like we are missing the first pilot episode where all of this... Yeah. yeah. But even even if you have that, like with the, with the X-Men cartoon, right? You've got the episode that introduces everybody. But then the dialogue throughout the rest of the series, it's not like Jean Grey will just start talking in people's heads. There will always be a line of dialogue that will say something like, Jean, use your telepathic powers. Or someone will say, why are you in my head? And you'll yeah. say, telepathy. There'll, there'll always be there's something, exp- right? simple exposition. Here, we don't have that, and we're expected, as children, we are expected to just jump on <laughs> to this flying motorcycle of madness. Yeah, it's bonkers. Yeah. Um, so, so Century um, was not created for the cartoon. Okay, okay. But he was a brand new character created for Forceworks. During mm. their first battle, Wanda uses her annoyingly vague and undefined powers <laughs> to create some chaos and accidentally like interrupts the teleportation of this alien being called Century, but his arrival 
because of it and the energies and stuff, it basically ends with the death of Wonder Man. Oh. Uh, Sentry arrives, he's got a patchy memory of who he is, but he joins Force Works to atone because he feels very guilty for the killing, for, for the death of Wonder Man, right? Even mm. though Wonder Man is back to life in the next issue or the one after that as a spirit genie now created. Oh, no, no, he just reconstitutes himself, doesn't he? I think. Or is he dead? No, he reconstitutes himself, yeah. No, he's dead. No, I'm wrong. He reconstitutes himself later on. He is fully dead. Um, so, Century, the explanation we get is that there are these two warring alien races. Mm. One a lot more powerful than the other. So the, 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 the race that isn't very powerful combine the spirits of all their dead warriors into one being. <laughs> Century. And they give him this immensely powerful weapon, this axe weapon called the Parallax. Hey! And that allows him to um, teleport in the physical world and travel between dimensions. Um, because of his, his be- being all these different warriors as well, he's very strong and he's, and he's very fast. Okay. Um, Forceworks didn't last long as a comic. And once it ended... In the last issue, the Century flies off into space to find his people or whatever. And literally no other writer in the history of Marvel (laughs) has ever used him since. And that is deeply, deeply rare. Think what we had earlier. Characters from the 50s getting reused. We had Jack Frost going into prison and no one used him for a decade. And then someone said, oh yeah, we just call him the Blizzard and change his costume, it'd be fine. The human top gets reused as Whirlwind. Century, no one's used him since 1996. That is weird. Let's do another Simpsons reference. Uh, Century died on the way back to his home planet. He's just weirdly undefined, and I, I, yeah. I, I, I really, really like the writers that wrote Forceworks, Dan Abner and Andy Lanning. Mm. They're the two guys that created the modern Guardians of the Galaxy. They're brilliant at space cosmic stuff. They, they, they redefined the Legion of Superheroes for DC. They're brilliant writers, uh, but this series is a, is not quite a train wreck, but it's difficult. And this character, who they created is just weird, and I don't think anyone gets him or understands him. And they've never used him again. They could have easily... When they write Guardians of the Galaxy, they write it for like five year, four or five years, mm. and they use loads of different cosmic characters. Yep. Um, loads of obscure ones. Rocket Raccoon, Groot, obscure characters haven't been used in decades. They have a full run there to use their character, Century, and they never do. I think do that you, tells you something. Do you reckon he might pop up in an in upcoming MCU film, even as just a reference? A no. reference. No, I'd be How, willing to. I'd be willing to bet a lot that it never. That think it about happen. that century. Howard the Duck, a proven failure at the box office, got a reference. Yeah, but How the Ducks. How the Ducks a, a mega Marvel character. He was a hugely popular character. Okay, okay, okay. That's why he got a. He he. They voted for him to be president, man. We'll, we'll talk about it. We 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 when, when we eventually agree to do Howard the Duck, which we we've got we, we it's rescheduled for this year. Howard the Duck is rescheduled fantastic. for this year because there have been people asking about Howard the Duck. We yeah. will get that done. part of our part of our wheel weird, wild, and wacky 
which we're <laughs> going to be talking about before the end of the episode as we announce the next project. But yeah, I like this. I like this. I'm looking forward to it. Anyway, back at the armory, Rhodey, Scarlet Witch, and Spider Woman are watching Ultimo on the monitor, stunned at what an indestructible foe he turned out to be. Just then, Iron Man enters, holding Century, telling the team how he saved his life and that they haven't a moment to lose. Hawkeye tracks Ultimo, heading to Sacred Sands. Tony explains that Ultimo is essentially a robot. He can be turned off. In the desert... (laughs) (laughs) What? No, it's just... just, Oh, Tony's a robot, we can just turn him off. Have you you tried turning it off? Yeah, sorry. Um... In the desert, Ultimo roars as smoke rises around it and the ground underneath begins tearing itself apart. An enormous crack spreads across the desert floor as the team arrives to stop the catastrophe. Sentry claims that Ultimo is tapping into the core of the planet and that the energy it unleashes will disrupt the forces of nature. If they do (laughs) not stop it, the Earth will disintegrate. The team tries to attack Ultimo, but all attempts fail before the giant robot grabs Spider-Woman. Sentry stops the others, saying that if they attack, Ultimo will crush Spider-Woman. So, I've, I've sort of got at it before. Do you think they used Spider-Woman because they couldn't get Spider-Man, or was she actually a member of Tony's team of Forceworks? Oh, no, she, she's a part of Forceworks. Yeah, okay. She's part of... The West Coast Avengers, and then she's one of the one of the original one of the original teammates that, that Tony takes over to Forceworks. Yeah, because I I just keep um, see this when I saw this, it was all t- too much to take on. And now you've explained Forceworks to me, it makes sense. But I just thought they were plucking random superheroes out of the the, the mythos. We've seen this Spider Woman before, really. On our on our special bonus episode on the Secret Wars, we talked about. A brand new character introduced during the Secret Wars, which yes. was Spider Woman. That was it, Julia Carpenter, um, who was created specifically for Secret Wars because Secret War, uh, the, the, the toy makers Mattel said to Marvel, "We need more female characters." So they created two or three villains, and they created a new um, a new superhero, and that was uh, that was Spider Woman. She she kind of um, yeah she she accidentally joins an evil team to begin with who are posing as good guys and then proves herself and, and, and joins does join the X, uh, the Avengers yeah okay cool cool I, I, I vaguely remember that now so it's coming back slightly anyway cool yeah. that, that explains a bit more of Forceworks to me so above the saucer flies through the sky Mandarin scenes War Machine and realises that Iron Man's lackeys are there Modoc wonders if they should attack, but Mandarin claims it is not necessary. They are no match for Ultimo. Mandarin finally realises that Ultimo's ancient program is, cause, is causing it to drain energy from the planet's core. Back in his lab, Iron Man explains to Scarlet Witch he cannot crack Ultimo's alien date code and asks what her hex powers tell her. She begins chanting and approaches the hologram, revealing the nexus of the control. Iron Man realises that Ultimo's master switch is through a doorway into another dimension. Um, it, I, I remember this fight uh, when I was watching it, and I don't know if you remember it, but I was absolutely distracted by utterly crazy keyboard music playing. Do you remember this? <laughs> sort of, yeah. I, I, I remember there being some weird musical choices in the episode, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I was taken aback by that. 
Also, uh, it's it's quite fascinating to see Wanda in the early nineties because, of course, my only introduction to Wanda is uh, through uh, the Olsen sibling. Mm, uh, yeah, so, so, so it's interesting yeah. to see. You know, is she? Um, she's a really a full on witch in this cartoon. What were her powers like at this point in the nineties? We we kind of alluded to this in yeah. our deeper dive. This is the period of time when they are focusing on her. Like a decision has been made that mm. the Scarlet Witch is an Avenger. Yes, and they're really focusing the the downplaying the mutant stuff, and they're really focusing on magic, hex powers, yep. chaos yep. magic, yep. and Force works. The whole the whole like point of them is to get to threats, get to things before they become threats. So they have this supercomputer, mm. and the supercomputer is somehow works in conjunction with Wanda's chaos powers to predict chaos. And that's what drives force works. So Wanda's divination and hex magic along with the supercomputer reading all the information around the world at the same time predicts where chaos will happen and where they'll need it to be. So that's kind of what and then in in this series that one of the first things she does is creates, uses a hex on, on the bad guys yeah. and summons century from out of space. <laughs> um, so, yeah, her, 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 her in, insanely badly defined powers are nearly peak badly defined. They, they're getting there. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's interesting to see. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how they handle it in uh, WandaVision when they explain it a bit more. I don't think they will. Ugh, vague, vagueness, vagueness. Just allow more space well, to no, write. They, I, I don't, I don't, we, I, we, I don't want to say anything here. Yeah, but they have one hundred percent explained her powers in one division. One hundred percent. I thought you said they didn't. Then oh. no, they, they have in one division. They have good, 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 good. Because I it, thought it is very, it is, it is as if Jean Grey had complete mastery of all her telekinesis and telepathic powers. That's oh. it's, it's, it's supercharged psionic powers. That's in, what I thought it was, and I was like, "Wait a minute!" I they, thought it no, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we don't want to say too much. But yeah, yeah, we don't want to say too much. We'll get away from that and back to the story. Back in the desert, Iron Man lands with Scarlet Witch and tells them how to defeat Ultimo. Iron Man tells War Machine that it will take both of them to open the cosmic window for Hawkeye to shoot the Nexus. The two fly. <laughs> <laughs> yep, straight, straightforward plan there. Uh, the two fly straight fly into the sky and then straight towards Ultimo, circling around it. Suddenly, a bright light appears before Ultimo and Hawkeye fires. The arrow lands and explodes. Ultimo groans and releases Spider-Woman. Watching for the Sky Saucer, Modok claims they are doomed. Mandarin retorts that he is never doomed. He fires his ring and suddenly the saucer turns into a digging machine, escaping Brilliant. through the ground. Brilliant. Mandarin claims more, that... More Thunderbirds action. I know, it's pointless at this point. Just fly the other way. Uh, Mandarin... <laughs> I don't get that. I guess, do you know how fast you can fly in the air? Very. Do you know how fast you can dig through the ground? I'll give you a clue. Not as fast as the first one. <laughs> Very hard to do at a speed. There's, there's just stuff in the way. It's called it's the ground. The, yeah, don't get... Sorry, it's, it's angering me now. Looking at the fallen robot, Iron Man orders for the removal party to transport the robot to a secure holding lab. 
Later, a party is held by Tony for Rhodes, as thanks for being such a great member of the team. Inside, just for him. Just for him. Just for him. Just for, just just for, for him. Just for him. Everyone else, yeah. Hawkeye who fired the arrow and, and, and Scarlet Witch who, who <laughs> opened I mean, the great, net. No, just yeah. him. Great teamwork, guys, but are you the assistant? No. <laughs> no. Exactly. Uh Inside, so inside the house, Tony contacts Spider Woman in the lab. She's examining Ultimo and claims he will no longer be a problem. As she leaves, is she the, a scientist? Do they explain that she's a scientist? Mate, we've got a guy who can do <laughs> teleportation who's not explained. I'm just going to take. Uh, uh, okay, that I is a she's leap. A scientist. That is a leap. I'm taking a woman who's a superhero who's who's, who's a Spider Woman. I'm just going to go. Yeah, she probably she probably knows well, how to do stuff. Well, don't make it. Don't make it sound like I think women can't be scientists. All I'm saying I, is... I wasn't getting at stuff, that, but what well, interesting... it sounded like that's what you were saying. What, I'm just saying historically... Sp- <laughs> historically, Spider-Woman isn't a scientist. And Oh, okay, carry on. I'm, I'm going to try and be a feminist now. Sorry. Sorry, so I'm just saying... Spi- I didn't mean that. No, no. <laughs> Spider-Woman could be scientists, damn it. Uh, as she leaves the room, however, Ultimo's eyes start to glow red again. Ooh. What an end to an episode. Uh, also, I, I find it funny how Mandarin does a lot of running away. It's, it's, it is very skeletal-y. It's skeletal, what yeah. I, what I will say is that from the world of professional wrestling, if you are building a character, a villain, that you want people to dislike, mm-hmm. cowardly is good. Cowardly is, a, is an attribute you want a villain to have. Yep. You want them to... To uh, be braggadocious when they think they're winning and they yes. think they've got the upper hand, and be cocky, and then when the table is turned, you want them to portray negative attributes like cowardice and running away and all of that. I think it, uh, I think it kind of it kind of works. It, it, you know, certainly how in the comic books, Stan and Jack had a lot of the villains to begin with. Alt- we talked about how Ultron is an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a, he's a, he's a, he's an artificial intelligence that is stupid, um, and uh, and that kind of stuff that kind of stuff works for for villains because you want them to be overly negative. So, will that is our 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 first step into the Marvel Action Hour, our second step into Marvel's animated universe of the nineteen nineties, the animated Iron Man. Uh, one of the earliest appearances of Iron Man. There was a, a brief little, little, um, little stop. Well, it was it was kind of a photocopied cartoon-ish series in the nineteen sixties that only lasted three months. This is the first prolonged look at Iron Man that anyone's had, um, and and your first look at the the characters of Force Works. How, how, what do you think of of these episodes? The first two, considering that the X Men animated series came out before this. It kind of feels like a step back. There, there's it's lacking the depth, the, the, the uh, and 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 how thought out things are in the X Men cartoon. Yeah, uh, and it and it does feel it does feel like an eighties cartoon. It doesn't feel like a nineties one. Feels apart from the uh, yeah, it doesn't apart from the three D effects they 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 try to use. It was <laughs> like this felt like a nineteen eighties cartoon. You're so right. Yeah. You're so right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's obviously made um, considerably. I would imagine considerably cheaper yeah. than things like X Men and Batman, the animated series and stuff, and Spider Man that we're going to watch. But um, I think that that unfortunately comes across. I mean, you, you can make shows for children, yeah, that 
that that aren't like this that are a bit a bit more uh, that have a bit more going on um this 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 kind of suffers a bit doesn't it oh totally but it, as i said it's it's laid a lot of groundwork it's let us explore iron man villains that we that have not appeared yet in the marvel universe which is fantastic to get to explore them it's allowed us to explore force works which i think although brief is a very important <laughs> chapter in tony stark's um character um and it's let us see the 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 business maneuverings that got things in place for Avi Arad et al to move ahead with Marvel Studios and the MCU to put those deals in place to get the Marvel movies rocking and rolling in the cinema so a really interesting chapter in Marvel the reading list is pretty simple Uh, in this episode folks you can check out West Coast Avengers um, I'd recommend the original limited series that's got Hawkeye, Tigra, Iron Man, Mockingbird um, on the front because that's the first run where they first established this West Coast team. You can check out Forceworks as well. I believe there is a a collection of Forceworks. It's it's kind of hard to get hold of because it's it's not it's not been reprinted many times, but. Mm. Uh, the, the artwork is 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 really interesting. It's very of its time, nineties, and quite quite kind of um, lots of big splash pages, um, lots of big double double pages as well. Um, hey, if you can track down the first issue of Force Works, which this this bad boy has somewhere, it has a pull out cover. The, there's a slit in the front cover, and it is like a pop up book. Um, so the, the, there's some things to to. There's some fun to be to be read in it. The 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 redesign of U.S. Agent and, mm. and things like that. Oh, U.S. Agent, <laughs> U.S. Agent, which of course we'll be seeing uh, very soon in Falcon, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, and Snap that Wilson. Brings us, that brings us to the end of uh, this uh, this particular <laughs> cast, and it only lets it only remains for us to uh, let you know of the next chapter, the next episode. It is the beginning of our weird, wild, and wacky series that we'll be doing throughout this year as we take a look at the very first depiction of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., as played by David Hasselhoff. If you want to watch along and get ready for this, it is not available on Disney+, Plus, <laughs> but the whole movie is available for free on YouTube. <laughs> it's a mark of quality, I'm sure. Um, we're going to be diving into the first depiction uh, and the only non-Samuel L. Jackson depiction of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please take the time to rate us, like us, subscribe, leave a review. Hey, why not recommend us to a friend? who loves Marvel movies and comic books. Visit us on patreon.com slash Marvel vs. Marvel. Marvel, Marvel.